0: is winnipeg sports talk daily with
1: andrew hustler patterson and michael remus what's going on everybody welcome back to another edition of winnipeg sports talk daily andrew patterson michael remus with you and uh oh man this is going to be a fun couple hours here on wst uh well it won't be that fun we always love talking to john hodge But unfortunately, we don't have great news regarding the Canadian Football League and the CFLPA. But we will talk to uh, Johnny from uh, Three Down Nation in the second hour of the program with the latest on what is happening and what isn't happening right now with a deal getting done between the CFL and its players before preseason action is uh, supposed to be happening right here in Winnipeg on Friday night. That looks to be in peril right now. Uh, but we will have an update on the CFL situation. Of course, we're going to talk a lot of hockey. Marat Atesh of The Athletic has a, a great new piece with a lot of feedback from you all in The Athletic and uh, more on the Jets, their coaching search, as well as some of the uh, most pertinent questions of the offseason. We'll get to all of that with Murat. And before that, coming up in just about 15 minutes, we're going to welcome in... For my money, maybe my favorite guest that we've had on this program since we started it, and that is former NHLer and Brandon native Matt Calvert, who joined us last year when he retired. I'm going to catch up with Matt for a wide-ranging interview talking about his um, season not playing, working in junior hockey, and, of course, what he thinks and has heard about the Winnipeg Jets and the Stanley Cup playoffs, which is for with his former team, The Colorado Avalanche looking very, very good. So a very busy show. Welcome aboard. Great to have everyone here. Shout out to everyone that's with us watching on YouTube. If you haven't already, do us a favor. Hit that red subscribe button as we approach 7,000 YouTube subs. And of course, for everyone listening on the podcast, thanks for making us a part of your day. If you do have the opportunity to go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a five-star rating and a little review. Uh, That is much appreciated and certainly helps us spread the channel. Um. Hey, big thanks to the sponsors that make this show happen. Man, Aikens Lake saw a couple monsters pulled out of the lake yesterday. Great to see that they are back running. If you're thinking about a uh, once-in-a-lifetime, well, hopefully once a year, opportunity to get out to a five-star fishing lodge just a couple hours away from winnipeg Aiken's lake is the place to be you can find out more online at akinslake.com uh, of course our friends at wallace and wallace f apparel vita health fresh market culligan water manitoba battery royal sports breezy bend not auto corp little brown jug princess auto boston pizza the nick and nicky dq group assiniboia downs canadian club whiskey and our betting partners over at cool bet canada uh, let's get to it and welcome Michael Remus in here. Remo, how uh, how are you? It's Wednesday already. This is a, always these strange weeks when you have the the Monday off out of a long weekend. I still haven't really gotten my bearings as to what day it is. Uh, however, I do know that the Edmonton Oilers are up 3-1 on the Calgary Flames after another crazy episode of the Battle of Alberta last night. What's going on?
2: Yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm still like recovering from my weekend. Uh of- but, uh, yes, Wednesday, short week. What a night last night in Edmonton with that game. The fans are going nuts. I'm ready to sit here and talk about that, uh, the, what, Rasmus Anderson goal and Mike Smith for 15 minutes. But I guess we don't need to talk about it anymore because, uh, you know, the Oilers came back and won 4-3. Uh, the huge
1: saved the day.
2: Never thought. I never thought they would have. But, you know, Mark Strib, I'm seeing speculation that, he's hurt or tired. He's not looking like the Vesna finalist that he was during the season. And, you know, they almost came back and, and took it Calgary, but they're in a tough spot now down three, one. And, uh, you know, Connor McDavid, what can, what can he say? I mean, the guy's out of control, Leon Dreisel but you know, Tom Gazzola was saying yesterday, how everyone else on the team has stepped up and there was, there was Nuge yesterday. Um, and he's been there, you know, longest tenured oiler. so nice, nice for him to make an impact there.
1: Yeah, I thought Nuge stunk in game number one and got pushed around by Michael Backlund, and that was sort of a, a very ominous sign for the Edmonton Oilers in this series. Well, Jay Woodcroft, the job that he's done, they've completely turned it around. To your point, Markstrom has not been good pretty much in any of the games this series. And uh, and they needed a big performance from Markstrom last night, Reem. And I got to tell you, right out of the gate, a goaltending, a puck handling uh, mishap which we've seen one or yeah. two in this city before. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, honestly, something that, you know, I would have been more worried about Mike Smith doing than Markstrom, and yet, bang, Calgary down 22 seconds into the game. They were down 3 nothing after the first period, but they did battle back. And, yeah, I mean, the goal, 130 feet in the third period of the Battle of Alberta, game four of the playoffs, to tie the game, looked like that could have been one of the most significant like basically an all-timer for what a ridiculous goal it was on top of it the meaning that it had getting Calgary back on even terms but as you mentioned the nude steps up in the final with four minutes of the game scores Edmonton wins and now the Oilers after getting absolutely outclassed in game number one are 60 plus minutes away from moving on to the final four in the conference final against likely the Colorado Avalanche. We'll find out more about uh, whether they officially booked their spot in the final four tonight.
2: I'm ready to talk about this Mike Smith goal. I was texting (laughs) friends and, and uh, I forgot to change the thumbnail on our, on our YouTube story. I was texting friends and, you know, family members saying, Oh my God, did you see this goal? And one guy's like, I just tuned in. They're talking about Dan Kluche. Someone score from center ice? I'm like, no, 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 not center. Behind their own blue line. Um, what an incredible shot. First of all, this was an absolute bomb from Anderson. I mean, like top top corner from his own end. Well, it bounced
1: once, didn't
2: it? It did it? I thought it went straight. I thought it went straight. And either way, you look at the replay. I mean, I want to dump on Mike Smith. I think you can dump on him. But it seemed like it was just took an interesting path where... It just weaved through all the Oilers players, and he didn't see it. But that is not a goal you can give up at any point, let alone a tying goal in the third period of you know second round game in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But uh, the Oilers, I mean, they they battled through and they won. So full credit to them. I didn't think we'd be here. I thought five minutes into the series, when the Flames were up four one in game one, that it was over. I was ready to shut it off. But uh, <laughs> I guess I forgot. I guess I forgot Connor McDavid is on Edmonton.
1: Yeah. Well, as I said, they did have a number of guys step up in particular, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who is, you know, is a big fan favorite there has been there for his entire career, signed the long-term extension to stick around and, um, you know, maybe had his signature moment as an oiler in the playoffs last night. Um, All that being said, big win for Edmonton. I'm sure we'll talk more about this tomorrow. Um, The other game in the National Hockey League last night that might be of more importance to Winnipeg Jet fans is the New York Rangers, who are back, Remo. Another big win at home. Carolina remains winless on the road in the playoffs. Perfect at home. Something's got to give, well, at some point, if the Rangers want to win this series, because they are going to have to win a game in Carolina uh, but they're two games away from turning that second rounder for the Jets into a first rounder. And uh, I got to say, a lot of the uh, Jets nation, I'm sure, will be tuning in to games five, six, and potentially seven of this series to see what happens for the draft capital for the home club.
2: Yeah, and I thought this was the best tweet that I saw uh, last night. Uh, Maddie Lang, who's a frequent listener, who says, I feel like the Rangers should just upgrade the pick to a first, even if they don't make the Easter conference final, just based on how good has cop based on how good cop has been for them. And then you responded, it's just the right thing to do, <laughs> which I couldn't agree more. Uh, they should for sure just hand over the pick. It would be very nice. Uh, cop has been excellent and so odd. We thought yesterday that this would be the time Carolina is able to win you know, away from home. No. It wasn't the case, and I didn't think that we would be this close to getting an additional first-round pick for the Jets, but we are all here definitely cheering for the Rangers. Uh, it's tied 2-2, game five in Carolina, so you'd think Carolina's for sure going to win, but maybe they don't. I don't know. This is why they play the game, so uh, I think this is going to be interesting.
1: in their heads. Shesterkin's in their heads, mm-hmm. and you know who else is in their head? Jacob Truba. Oh, man. Uh, Let's get into this hit last night. And it's so funny, and this is where we live today in 2022. Something like that happens in hockey. And immediately, there's a bunch of people running to their social media feeds to say this is the worst hit that they've ever seen, and the guy needs to be removed from the game. And then the other side of people saying, well, what are we talking about here? It's a perfectly clean hit. Now, there was no penalty on the hit, and I think there is some merit to... The fact that Domi was essentially falling a split second before the hit was made and, you know, was much lower than I think was originally intended. That being said, Jacob Truba absolutely does have a bit of a reputation for being a uh, a wrecking ball out there. Um, um, it was a huge hit. Now, the thing about it was Carolina lost their composure. Guy came in, fought him, correctly got the instigator call peniled, uh, uh, called on him. There was no additional minor to Jacob Truba and the Rangers go capitalize on the power play and never look back. So uh, Truba very impactful in a number of ways in that game last night. Where did you come out on the uh, controversial hit of Truba on Domi?
2: Yeah, I think I've seen worse. I don't think it was that bad. I know Domi's kind of falling. I don't think there was head contact. Um, Truba's going. Domi, I don't know, he's trying to get out of the way or lost an edge. I will say this about Truba. Well, the
1: elbow certainly got him in the helmet, but uh, the bottom line was, though, yeah. I mean, he basically was following right at that time. And I don't really know that there's anything Truba could have done. Although once he hit him, he sure did leave his feet with the powerful. I mean, he is just such a hard hitter. I'm not sure that that's anything more than just physics and momentum.
2: Yeah, and I remember Truba here, and he would try to line guys up over and over up the middle, and I swear he missed every time. And I would think, "Oh man, if he He's hit gotten him, better at it." <laughs> he this year especially, he seems to be a wrecking ball. I don't know years of experience. He's learned how to line guys up, but I just remember him missing guys on those type of plays over, over and over again. I could be, I could be wrong, but that's what I remember. And uh, I mean, you got to watch out. He's a guy you got to watch out for, and know he didn't want to be on the jets but you know to have a guy that type of defenseman who can put you know fear into other players or know hey if you're going up the middle this guy's going to crush you most of the time legally i think he plays a bit on the edge but i mean he's been a good player for them and it's you know there's a couple jets making impact uh for the rangers this year in truba and now cop
1: Well, and Kopp was brilliant last night. I mean, he assisted on the first two goals that got them out there. I mean, it's just amazing listening to the broadcasters talk about him as well. I mean, he's just this revelation. And listen, I mean, some people would say he's a bit of a revelation to people here. I mean, the conversations on Andrew Kopp on this program were hilarious right from the get-go. I mean, at the beginning, he was a guy that had no hands, you know, had no offensive skill from some people in the chat. Other people thought that he was being held down in the lineup. Um, And he did have, you know, another very good year, an incredibly versatile role. The one thing that he's done, and he's been given the opportunity by Gerard Gallant, is to show that he can consistently contribute playing with good players in that top six. And he has been everything the Rangers could have wanted for and more so far. And um, as Matt said, the Jets should be getting the first round pick anyways. But the fact that it is part of the deal that if they do win this series, that second rounder will turn into a first makes people that much more supportive of I think Andrew Copp and Jacob Trua in the blue shirts against Rod the Bod and the Canes
2: Andrew Copp's stats with the Rangers 18 points in 16 regular season games and you go to the playoffs he's played 11 games he's 10, 10 points five goals five assists and he's a player you can you know he's lead, occasionally has lead led the team in time on ice he plays power play he plays penalty kill he's defensively responsible he has offensive talent he seemingly can do it all and very solid player and seeing comments in chat saying that you know jets maybe didn't use cop to the best of his ability and you know and but when he was put into a situation i thought he played well and it's too bad that he's not going to be on the jets because he seems to be the player that they could use as far as you know, secondary scoring goes, though.
1: So. Another one of those guys wearing number 91 in Edmonton, although I don't think many no. people would be on board for the return of him. By the way, Evander Kane is on a historic goal-scoring pace right now. He's got 12 goals in the playoffs so far. I believe Reggie Leach's all-time record is 19. Um, Evander is in rarefied air right now, and uh, listen, he's doing it with the best player on the planet in Connor McDavid. Uh, but there's lots going on for for Evander. Now speaking of Winnipeg things, we'll get to a little bit more NHL later on when we talk to Marat. Uh, but a couple big big local hockey games happening uh, over the next few days. First of all, tonight game four, as Patrolman Pete said in the chat, it really is a do or die game tonight. I think for the Winnipeg Ice, they're down two to one in their series against Edmonton with the next two games. At Rexall Arena in Edmonton against the Oil Kings. Um, you know, they had that lead late in game three. Edmonton tied it up and won it in overtime. Edmonton now has both of their wins so far in this series in OT. Um, so you know, huge for the vice to to win tonight, get this thing to a best of three with game six and seven here in Winnipeg. And that game six, Sunday 5 p.m. at the Ice Cave. Um, if necessary, presumably, hopefully the ice can get a win, uh, at minimum of one win, um, and, you know, bring this series back to it. But that is going on tonight. And meanwhile, out in Estevan at the Centennial Cup, I love the format of the Centennial Cup this year, by the way, with 10 teams. I mean, it really does feel like it is a big national tournament. Uh, a big shout out to the Dauphin Kings, who did lose last night in a shootout in the Battle of Manitoba to the Flon Bombers. Uh, but the Kings tied for first with the game in hand on Flon, with two wins and an overtime loss in their three games. Uh, and they look poised to move on to the playoff round, um, providing they can get a good result in this final game of the round robin. So go Kings, go Ice. And uh, hopefully we'll have some more great local hockey stories to speak about in the upcoming days here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Um, all right, as we mentioned, Remo, Matt Calvert's going to join us, and we're going to go a little long with Matt, so we'll get into that a little bit earlier than we normally do. Um, but before we do that, I do want to give a big thanks to our friends at Wallace and Wallace, Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialists. Serving residential and commercial customers since 1946 with any kind of fence you could possibly need. Vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood. And if you need a new garage door, they've got Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors. You can give them a call at 452-2700. One of the experts will come down for a free estimate. You can also pop by their showroom at Lawson Road off Keniston or visit them online at wallacefences.com. Uh, the gang of Vita Health is uh, our go-to spot for great prices on Winnipeg's best selection of natural and organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries available at one of seven Vita Health Fresh Market locations. Not to mention some great delicious lunch options like Vita Market salad, soup, sandwiches, and more, and great barbecue options like delicious lean bison steaks or a chicken. Um, They've also got a fully shoppable website right now, so you can buy online or schedule a delivery with Instacart. Visit them over at myvita.ca or pop by any of their seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, and online at myvita.ca. As uh, we mentioned that uh, Remo was uh, all done up in his F apparel suit looking good at his wedding on the weekend with some friends. Uh, Weddings are back. Events are back. Parties are back. And uh, maybe you're still realizing that that suit that you last wore pre-pandemic needs an upgrade. Don't go anywhere else. Talk to the guys down at F. Custom-made suits for men starting at just $400. And it's a great time to get out there right now. as All of their new summer styles and fabrics are in. 250 plus, to be honest, 190 Smith Street's the place to be F apparel and ask them if you are at a wedding party about their deal for wedding parties where you'll get 15% off if the group buys their suits from F apparel. And hey, just before we get to Matt Calvert, our friends at Canadian Club are involved in the Winnipeg Whiskey Festival. And there's a really cool Whiskey Fest ancillary event that's coming up a week from today and it's down at the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame at the Sports for Life Center between 7 and 9 p.m., presented by the Manitoba Liquor Marts. It is bourbon against the grain, the story of Maker's Mark. Uh, the uh, One of the distillery diplomats has experience as a world-class bartender and hospitality uh, consultant. Um, he'll be there to uh, lead you through a tasting of history from whiskey to America's spirit, bourbon and into the present with the latest innovations of wood finishing. So uh, head on over to the Liquor Mart's website. You can look at some of the Whiskey Fest events. But that is next Wednesday, $40 event, 2 hours, 7 to 9 p.m. If you're a whiskey lover, these sort of events are amazing. And, of course, more information on the Whiskey Festival overall also available over at the Manitoba Liquor Mart's website. All right. Tesh coming up. We'll talk plenty of Jets with him. John Hodge on the stalemate, at least the current stalemate, between the CFL and the CFLPA. Uh, but really looking forward to this next segment. One of our all-time favorite guests, Brandon's Matt Calvert, returns to Winnipeg Sports Talk right now. Matt Calvert, what is going on? It's great to have you back on the program.
3: It's great to be back. Uh, finally, seen some nice weather in Manitoba, and uh, now I know why the toughest people come from Manitoba. Because uh, first winter back in eleven years, my God, was it uh, was it a treat? <laughs>
1: I was just about to say. Just thinking of that as to came to I mean, of all the winters, to finally say, okay, now I'll go back home. I'll spend it. I mean, this was the absolute worst. I mean, it was brutal around here. But I mean, I know the Brandon area, and you know, uh, up a little north, the riding mountain. I mean, it was just one thing after another.
3: It was it was incredible. I honestly every Manitoban I saw was it was why did you move back to Brandon? Why did you move back to Manitoba? I'm like, guys, like you're the one, you know, you guys are the ones that have been living here for the last twenty years. Like that's let's, let's settle down. But every day I swear to God, someone said that to me and I said I said just uh, for the people, and I got a backyard rink uh, for my boys, so I was like, that's the number one reason. <laughs> well, no shortage of family time with
1: all the snow days and everything that was keeping people in. I, I've got to ask you right off the bat. I mean, we know what a competitor you were. I mean, how did you handle not being uh, not playing pro hockey this year for the first time in so long? What What was the year like?
3: It was tough. Um, it was it was about ten months of rehab, so you have you had that into the equation of uh, kind of sitting on your butt and, and not doing much. So lots of pain when you're, when you're dealing with bone growth in your back, it's uh, it can be long at times and you have to rehab, you have to push it, you know, to a certain level. So, um, and then at the same time, I have uh, four and six year old boys and, uh, trying to keep up with them on the backyard rink. And, um, that's, I, I kind of mentioned to you before the show, the one thing I missed the most was competing and, uh, and, and, you know, I, I would try to watch hockey and it's just, you want to be out there so bad. You're like a kid in a candy store watching and, uh, I, I got to eventually got to skate with the old timers, uh, I would say around March, April, and finally got to have some fun again. And now I've hit uh, hit the links when it's not snowing or raining in the last few weeks here. And uh, yeah, finally starting to have some fun in my life again. So it's been a long year, but starting to adjust.
1: you are fully recovered. How's the body feeling? And of course, you had the rehab, but you also didn't have the wear and tear of an NHL season. Now, where are you at right now? How do you feel?
3: <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh it's kind of two different worlds there you the rehab you know you have that pain every day but uh, finally feeling good and like I said before like doing fun stuff golfing playing basketball with my kids hockey you name it um, and then the wear and tear uh, it's amazing the sleep you get when you're not playing anymore uh, I was a guy that could have been up till 4 a.m. after a game my mind would just run all night and and now I'm I'm turning into that old 50 year old man going to bed at 10 30 at night and waking up at eight in the morning and and getting in my first routine of my life, I guess. Uh, ever since I, I was a, a school age kid, so and then the hips, man, my hips feel like they're 20 years younger. Not skating every day and working out all the time, so it's uh, it's been a change and uh, and still adjusting to, to normal life, I guess. Well,
1: and, you know, it goes without saying, I mean, you're dealing, you know, with, uh, you know, with significant rehab off a major surgery. But I have to ask you, what was it like in September going into October when for the last decade plus you would have been a training camp? I mean, speaking of that routine, it's a pretty regimented routine by the calendar for NHL players. I mean, what were those first couple of weeks like when things were moving on and uh, you were back in Brandon working on and uh, chasing your boys
3: around? Pretty lost to the truth. Uh, like you said, like regimented routine. Like, I don't think I realized how, you know, it was, you were you were told where to go, when to go. It was the off season, you take a few weeks, you get back into phase one of working out, phase two, phase three, training camp, Christmas break. You know, it, it's just, it's, and then all of a sudden you're managing your own time and your own schedule. And uh, I was a little lost uh, and decided to take a development job with the Wheat Kings, one, to get out of the house for a couple hours a day. Uh, my kids are in preschool kindergarten uh you know the every second day i believe it was and uh you know i just you just need to keep that sanity and get out and that gave me a coach's room to go to be around a hockey team and and kind of ease the transition for me so i I did get my fill fill of hockey um obviously going to mostly every weekend game and and watching a, a few minor hockey games around the city but um yeah definitely a transition but like i said starting to starting to figure it out now
1: well you know that's really cool to hear i mean just you know part of being part of a team and being a group and in this case you know a coach's group with donnie McGilvery, a great friend of ours i mean a heck of a coach as well tell us about the opportunity how it came together and uh, what you were actually doing with the wheaties and how you enjoyed the uh, the first year moving on from being a player into the other side of the game
3: yeah so it was technically called development coach and uh for myself Um, I wasn't able to get on the ice till January with the kids. So that that was tough. I was standing on the bench during training camp and practices and trying to create relationships with the guys. But like for me, if you're not in that grind of the practice and they make a mistake uh, in the defensive zone, you know, something I can maybe help with, uh, you know, kind of relieve Don and the other assistant coaches when they're worrying about, you know, more about the systems and how the drill runs, Um, you know, working on skills with them after I, I was always that guy right from my junior days that I would stay out on the ice as long as I could work on my game, get better, try to develop myself. And so that's what I eventually got to in January. started to feel closer to the team. I was fortunate enough to get on the bench for two games. Uh, Unfortunately, Mark DeLegge or one of our assistant coaches had COVID. Um, I actually got to see Winnipeg and Edmonton and get a coach against them. And and what a difference. uh, That was probably the closest feeling I had to playing since I retired uh i was kind of the eye in the sky before sat up in the press box during most games and then i'm on the bench and i found myself chirping uh these 16 to 20 year old kids as i'm i'm a, <laughs> I'm a middle assistant coach doing nothing and and i was fired up after each game but uh, i got to work with don McGilvery. obviously winnipeg knows him well um i just had a conversation with him and the, the, the then gm at the time doug gasper uh just about an opportunity and it was gonna be very part time and i kind of turned it into more of a, a full-time gig when the team was home and tried to watch road games on whl live and and donnie was great to me we would uh often talk talk a lot about you know our team and and dissecting players and um and as well as the other assistant coaches both young guys i, I knew mark derlego before grew up real close to him as kids and then played a little bit of hockey with him. and then dan johnson was our other guy and um just a, a good young core of assistant coaches with a you know an older grizzled pet and donnie um we had a blast uh i think we learned a lot from each other and uh yeah it was it was a great transition year to be a part of the weekings
1: you know matt when we spoke last year when you were just off the the back of your official announcement of your retirement i'm not sure whether you really got into you know your plans as far as hockey and coaching um was that always part of the idea or did this just sort of come up and did the year being back involved in a team maybe give you that bug to stay more involved in hockey and potentially pursue coaching going forward?
3: Yeah, honestly, I wasn't sure. I was, uh, I always had interest in management. I had interest in coaching. I had interest in, you know, I guess all avenues of the game and it's what, you know, as a hockey player, um, you know, I, I always, I always had some interest to do something else as well. And um, I, I got to see coaching firsthand and, uh, the travel, uh, doesn't really appeal to me at this time in my life with, with my kids being so young, it's, uh, those guys grind. They, uh, a little different than out. that NHL charter. Huh? Oh man. Like I, I was the guy when I played junior hockey in Brandon, like I, I grew up in Brandon, like my first flight in my life was when I went to the NHL combine when I went to Toronto. Okay. So like I, I was a prairie boy and I was used to travel. You want to go anywhere in the prairies, you're, you're two hours at least to any re- relevant city, you know, Winnipeg. 12 hours to Calgary. Like that's that's all we really got going for us around here. And uh, I rode the bus in Brandon. I don't think I complained once. And then you go to the private jet lifestyle, five-star hotel, and then you come back and you see these guys play Friday night, get in, try to do their video, hop on the bus. And, and I mean, even our playoff series in Red Deer, they played. They, uh, normally, what I thought they would do is a 2-3-2 two, two series. Well, they did a standard two home, two away, one, one, one. And they were hopping on the bus, twelve hours or fourteen hours, whatever it is, to Red Deer, there, back, and um, it's just—it's wild. Once you've been out of it for so long, how much you really respect that—that that travel and that time—time time you have as a team together.
1: You know, that was maybe the greatest Manitoban answer ever, saying there's no significant sure. city. You go from Winnipeg and just skip right over Saskatchewan <laughs> and go straight to Calgary. <laughs>
3: I, yeah, I did. People I did. love
1: that. Hey, in all seriousness, no, for teams like Brandon forever and now the Winnipeg Ice, how much more challenging is the travel in the Western Hockey League for those teams and those players because of, you know, where they're situated as opposed to the rest of the league?
3: Well, I think a good example is when you go to pro hockey and you talk to the OHL guys. The the QMJHL has some travel depending where you play, but the OHL guys, like you'll tell them, tell them your story of like, hey, our, this is our division: Regina three and a half, Moose Jaw five, Swifty, five and a half, six, whatever it is. Saskatoon PA, you name it. Um, it, it was they, they literally would look at you and like you're you're driving to you're driving to Prince Albert seven hours, and then you're driving back that same night and arriving at five a.m. And uh, they were in shock when they heard it. And you just hear, of they're like, uh, oh, we're an hour here, two hours there, three hours at the most. And we stay in hotels. And um, it, I think it really toughens you up and really makes you appreciate pro hockey, uh, especially when you get to the NHL, um, you know, when you're catered to and and flying on a private jet. So it's uh, it toughens you up playing on the prairies, I'll tell you that much.
1: Matt Calvert is with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Now the development coach with the Brandon Wheat Kings. And Matt, you mentioned on those two games, you got onto the bench. I mean, you coached against the Winnipeg Ice and the Edmonton Oil Kings, who are now, you know, meeting in this Eastern Conference Final. Tonight is uh, game number four in Edmonton with the Oil Kings up uh, two to one. these two teams have sort of seemed like they've been on a bit of a collision course all season long, consistently ranked in the top two of the uh, the Canadian Hockey League rankings. I mean, just from your perspective, in the limited time that you saw those teams, I mean, w- w- what did you think about the skill and talent level of the junior hockey uh, overall, and in particular, these two teams that are still alive battling it out tonight?
3: Yeah, I would say overall, it was a transition for me. Um, coming from pro so many years and you know being taught not to make too many mistakes you, you got to like you got to reinvent your your i guess your view or your perspective and it's these these are 16 to 20 year old kids and they have so much to learn and that that's where i really learned i'd say halfway through years of development coach that you got to start from the basics and these kids are so talented coming in skill wise and that but they got to learn the game of hockey and and that was the that was where i i felt i could really come in and help them um as far as winnipeg and edmonton uh as you mentioned i got a i got a coach on the bench see them firsthand and edmonton was the team in my mind that loaded up on on big name talents via trade throughout the year always near the top of the standings and and winnipeg somewhat you know stayed put i guess and you know maybe a few minor additions but the big thing about winnipeg uh, those were always those two teams are always the benchmark team for us and and we had so many injuries throughout the year. I don't think we ever really saw our, our, our real team or reach our true potential. But uh, the hardest part about playing the Winnipeg Ice was, I, I would say, their forward depth. Solid D, I, I think both goalies played well for them all, all year long. But their forward depth, we could potentially match their their top six. But after that, they, they got that third line that can score as well. and And we just didn't have that depth to match. And... And as far as Edmonton, uh, big, heavy and, and a lot of a lot of high end NHL draft picks. So um, I, I've been scoreboard watching and obviously see it's a 2-1 series for the Oil Kings. But, um, you know, I think it's one that might go the distance and, uh, you know, we don't get to see the Western Conference too much. So I don't know how they stack up against them, but um, obviously a, a, an exciting series and especially for such a new franchise in Winnipeg to be going through it this early.
1: Well, I can tell you, I was out at the Ice Cave on the weekend, a great crowd and just a heck of a game. I mean, I'm just blown away by how good some of these young men are. And and, and I have just one more on the junior hockey. I mean, as a guy that, you know, played in your career, it must be interesting to be back around a team of young men, you know, with their NHL dreams and aspirations, thinking about the upcoming draft and just how different the entire draft process is now as opposed to when you were uh, cutting your teeth.
3: Yeah, it's. Uh there's just so much more media involved. There's awareness on players, uh, like the video scouting. You can, like I can go on, uh, we had this thing as, as coaches called Instats, uh, and I can literally go on there and, and watch the the kid we drafted third and fourth overall. The two kids we drafted third and fourth overall in the WHL Bantam draft in, in the fall or winter. It was a late draft this year. But I'm watching midget hockey, um, or, or sorry, Bantam hockey on Instat and, and I can scout these kids from here. So there are eyes everywhere. Um, hopefully the guys like me that slipped through the cracks for three years, uh, you know, don't, don't slip as much and get that opportunity. But, um, I think the big part from my, my end of it being a development coach is, is block helping those kids block out the noise because you could read article after article on yourself, how good you are, how bad you are. And the big thing is is focusing on the the process of it all, and 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 putting in that work throughout the year. And and these scouts know they 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 know if you're consistent, they know if you're inconsistent, they know your flaws, what you need to work on. And and they're seventeen year old kids, like it's a young age to get drafted. That for the most part, seventeen. And um, yeah, it's uh, but at the same time, it's it's exciting times. And I remember my draft year at eighteen, and it was just a grind right till the end. Like try to put out as much as you can and and earn the highest pick possible. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to be a very small part of it, so seeing these guys go through the process.
1: Matt Calvert is with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. I've got to ask you about the the, the National Hockey League's Stanley Cup playoffs. Hey, before I talk about that, I mean, I knew you were basically busy with the uh, busy with the Wheaties, but you know, you paid attention. Obviously, being here in Manitoba, I'm sure paid attention to the Jets. I mean, just uh, thoughts on their season. I mean, high hopes early on, a disappointing end, a coaching change. And really did seem, you know, I think from anyone that listened to the Winnipeg Jets, all was not right overall as a team going forward. I mean, just any thoughts to the disappointing season Winnipeg just had? And of course, a huge decision going forward with their uh, next head coach.
3: Yeah, so uh, obviously we chatted earlier about it. Um, You know, coaching change. I know Paul Maurice is a very well-respected guy around the league. And then... In comes Dave and uh they they've actually rented my house in Brandon. Um that's how I got to know him. Uh we, we our seasons mismatched, which was perfect. I would leave to Denver. He was here to coach in Brandon, and then they'd be gone in the in the summer. And and what a what a great guy. Um, you know, the the small amount of time I, I got to meet him. He he was seemed like an awesome guy. Uh, they they speak the world of him here in the in the weekings organization and, and I gotta hear a lot of secondhand from uh Don McGill remarked to Lego coached with them. Uh, Dan Johnson is a close family friend or other assistant coach so I heard a lot about the Jets uh, dissecting it uh, you know different players popping up in the media here and there and um, you know I've been on teams that have gone through that uh, and you know people media will question culture they'll question players whether they want to be here and and I think the big thing is is you can turn things around in one season NHL and and, you know speaking to their fan base it's uh, you know whether that's moving a guy in or out or or just getting a new voice in the room. Well, whatever the direction they decide to go, things can change fast. And um, you know, th- that's why that's why we love the fans because they're so passionate, whether it's positive or negative. So um obviously not the, their best year, but I'm uh I'm an Avalanche fan still and haven't found that uh haven't found myself cheering for the Winnipeg Jets yet.
1: <laughs> I will work on you, but uh, listen, the <laughs> Avalanche you got some tight ties there of course and uh high expectations. Hey, we talk a lot about culture, and I mean, it's a nut, it's a word that's thrown around, I mean, well, and certainly some of the players themselves talked about needing to build one with four games left in the season, which was somewhat concerning if you've been watching it, but when you think back of your career, what was the best team culture, if you will, that you were a part of, if you can remember, and, and what made it that way?
3: Well, definitely Colorado, but I'll, I'll touch a little bit on culture. I'm, I'm not sure I got to this last time I was on the show, but... Columbus Blue Jackets. I get drafted there, you know, get my one-way contract, get get my foot in the door, and become an NHLer. And the message every year: culture, culture. We don't have a culture. Um, John Davidson came in. Uh, you know his his saying in the media: brick by brick. Uh, we got to build this thing brick by brick. And he, he was right. You 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 can't just trade for culture, right? It's it's how you do things every day, day in day out. John Tortorella came in and if you're a franchise in need of a culture change and the gm the owner believe in john tortorella that type of coach can really do that and and he did he instilled he he brought our our standard of work ethic from here to here in within one to two years um accountability Uh, a lot of times the the top players the the mark shifleys the blake wheelers you know might not be held as accountable as as the bottom six guys but john tortorella that you know, I, I saw him, I saw him getting a yelling match with my good buddy, Cam Atkinson in the room. It was pretty funny because they're both about five foot, five foot seven tall and, and they're face to face and I'm sitting across the room. It was to the first, second period in New Jersey and I'm almost dying, laughing towards is telling him to take his, take his shit off. And Cam saying I'm not taking my shit off and they're going back and forth. But, but that right there, it sends a message to the rest of the room. Just that, Hey, Cam was probably our leading scorer that season. And, and if you don't want to show up for two games straight, well, in Torts' words, I'm going to pipe you. And uh, he tried piping him. And, uh, and th- that's the big thing. But when I got to Colorado, um, it, the culture just bled down from the, the management down Joe Sakic obviously knows how to win, win in this league. And obviously uh, the superstar he is. And, and Chris McFarland, the assistant GM to Jared Bednar, who won in the minor leagues. And, um, and then you get to the players and, and a Nathan McKinnon and, a lot of these guys are on the same page, but Nathan McKinnon wants to win from day one of training camp to the last day of his season. Um, it could be a practice in January after we played three and four, and you miss you miss a pass to this guy, and, and he's he's, ex- he's expecting perfection out of everyone. And, and to me, that's culture. It's, it's competitive push within the room. The coach can yell all he wants. He can say what he wants. Management can thread all they want, trading guys or, or doing this and that. But at the end of the day, it's in that room. And it's the leadership. And, and that's one thing in Colorado with Landis, God, McKinnon, even, even McCar at at such a young age, just all professionals, they, they eat like professionals, they train like professionals, they sleep like pros. Um, and then they expect the best out of everyone and everyone to be doing that. And, and I was a 29 year old guy or 28 year old guy signing in Colorado and had some bad habits, I, I would say off the ice and nutrition wise and all that stuff. I worked hard, but Um, these man, these guys, uh, these guys opened my eyes to a different world and had me hiring a skill coach at 29, 30 years old, trying to get better every year. So, um, to me, that's true leadership. And and that's something you you ask about the jets. And I I think that's something they, they need more of by the sounds of it.
1: You know, it's amazing. You speak of a Colorado like that, because when you signed and they were two years removed from one of the historically worst seasons in NHL history. And it was very interesting. That was when Jared Bednar took over. And I think many of us thought that after a season like that, they'd probably go a different direction. It was very interesting that Joe Sackick stuck with him. And he's able to been able to kind of take this team growing forward. I mean, what were the cornerstones of that? Because it's not easy creating that culture that you mentioned of, you know, for an average team. For a team, albeit with a bunch of talent, but is coming from literally rock bottom. To me, it's almost more impressive the way they've continued to build what they've done. And obviously, it starts with some of that world-class talent in the players they've been able to pick.
3: Yeah, and and I, I think a big part of it is patience, right? Is you don't have to make a change if your management... Just because you you think you need to make a change because the media is calling for Dave Lowry not to be the head coach, you you don't need to make that change. If he if if you got the right guy, you got the right guy, and I I really think they they saw Jared Bednar as the right guy, um, and how his personality meshed with their stars and and Nathan McKinnon and how he can manage him and and Landeskog and Ranson. and, and I think they were they were confident. In, hey, we we got a core of superstars here um still young too you know a lot of people expect uh, matthews and martyrs to win to, to win three years ago right and, and they're still young and not everyone can be a crosby malkin who who won at a, at such a young age and that's what every superstar is is measured against now um drys idol mcdavid they are uh you know goudreau i guess kachuk now can they get it done in playoffs and and if you don't like one team wins every year and everyone else everyone else fails essentially right and and the big thing with Joe that I noticed was how patient he was. Um, he'd been through it before. There was no knee-jerk reactions. Obviously, a terrible season. Betsy got another. Betsy and his coaching staff got an, another year or two to you know to show what they got and show what they can do. And then when I came in as a free agent, um, they were pretty honest with me. You know, we got our stars, but we don't have our depth yet. Um, you know, we got a young Alexander Kerfoot. We got a JT Comfort just starting to come on the scene um tyson jost at the time uh you know we i i believe they drafted him or, or maybe that year and and they knew they knew they were a couple of years away and they were okay with it and they weren't making any crazy changes they wanted to build build from that day and that's that's the kind of feel i got from them and that's something i really learned you don't always have to make a crazy change to change things some sometimes patience and and being in a market like colorado the, the fans do expect a lot but it's it's not like a Canadian market. And I, I think sometimes that outside pressure in a Canadian market, um, you know, can can force management or coaches to to make wrong decisions at times.
1: No, it's a great point. Matt Calvert's with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. I know you've been paying attention to the apps. Man, they look good right now. Um, just thoughts on how they looked in the playoffs and in particular how Nasim Kadri basically owns the city of St. Louis, the entire St. Louis fan base. And you know what he's done, the impact that he's had in this series so far.
3: Yeah, for first off on the abs, fun. Like like <laughs> someone asked me, like, what's it like, like? Fun to watch. Like, try playing in that. That is uh I feel like I was a kid playing minor hockey again when I went there. Just uh the leash, I guess, that a Jared Bednar gave a bottom six guy like myself. Um, and, and when I say that, I'm not out there trying to toe drag or you know, do do some <laughs> fancy stuff, but he wants you to be creative, he wants you to to be your best self and uh and instill confidence uh, i kind of go back to the story we the year we made playoffs and upset calgary is the eighth seed and they were the one seed um we lost 21 and 25 and i'm sitting there you know that, that was probably halfway three quarters of the season i'm sitting there saying like come on betsy like sh- skate the hell out of us here like you know rip into us sit someone you know do what you got to do and he's like i'm worried about the confidence and and a very different style of coaching than i had ever seen before but uh but yeah it's uh it's really fun to watch i'm i'm really jealous um i want to be a part of it so bad you, you watch it you're there for three years you're part of building help building that and i knew how good we were last year and i had to watch in playoffs you know post-surgery and and then i watch again and I, I really hope they get it done it's such a great group of guys there i got to see them in winnipeg when they played you guys and um just ah they, they deserve it and i really hope they get over the hump and they got a great series going to St. Louis, and you asked about Nazem Kadri. I'll, I'll tell you a little story about Naz. He he's a very hated player um, by the opposing team. Uh, when I was in Columbus, I fought him at uh, at the end of a game. Uh, I think we were winning six nothing, or don't quote me on that. But um, he gets under your skin. He's lippy. He'll he, he'll push you. Obviously, you've seen that. You know, he's made some poor decisions in playoffs. He knows it. He knows he's got to get better, but. I went to the ABS and we we both went there. I think he got there you were after me, and uh, and I was like, man, like I gotta, you know, you hate guys on the ice, and now you gotta make friends with them. And me and Nas became boys. Uh, what a what a positive guy! Like this guy is forever an optimist. And I we sat at the card table together, uh, and we got real close in the Edmonton bubble. Um, kind of an unlikely crew started going for dinner. It was me, Nikita Zadorov, and and Kadri, and and. Uh, we just just such an easygoing guy he wants to have a great time. Completely opposite of what fans probably see on the ice, and just super positive, caring about you, asking how your family is, your day is, and uh, and then to see uh, see the the happenings the other night the the death threats, the the racial comments on oh. social media. You know, we have his my wife has his wife on on Instagram or social media and. And it's just, it's absolutely sickening. And and I watched that game, and I I had like goosebumps watching it, like a hat trick, and uh, what a what an ending to a to a terrible situation. And um and and good on him. He, he's such an emotional player and and such an elite scorer when he wants to be. Uh, and, and just so happy to see it happen after all that negative energy thrown his way.
2: Yeah, no,
1: I'm glad you said that. I mean, we talked about it extensively yesterday. I think everyone needs to stand up and call that out for what it is, which is garbage. It's got no place in the game. It's got no place anywhere. Um, and for that to happen and then for him to come back and shove it up you know where with a hat trick and a game. And you know what the the wild thing about that was, Matt? And I'm interested in your perspective on it. And you mentioned that Naz has a rep and is hated by a lot of other teams. I mean... The St. Louis Blues, this is a team that won the championship just a couple years ago with most of those same guys in the room. They know what it takes. They were completely, completely unhinged. They weren't thinking about the game. They took terrible penalties. And I mean, their lack of discipline and their bloodlust, whatever you want to call it, ended up costing them arguably a game that could have got them right back into the series. And now they're facing elimination heading to Denver.
3: Well, what makes Nas so valuable is like I said, he can be very hated. Like I wanted to fight him at a six nothing game. You know, it's uh and we I pulled up that fight often for him because I think I, I knocked him down with one punch, but he must he must have blew an edge. So I don't punch that hard. But uh but it all stems back. I don't know if you remember the fall kit last year and um you know, obviously one Nas would like back and uh, you know, I think he wants to be physical at times and just you know, it, it was a pretty dirty play. So he got under their skin, but guess what? Like he's got the focus on Nazem Kadri and as an agitator and, you know, obviously a skilled guy as well. Like you are doing your job and, you know, and to, to perfection because now they, are they worrying about Nathan McKinnon? And are they worrying about Miko Ranson, Kel Makar? And, you know, I know Naz is the guy scoring right now, but it it just takes, it it makes them hyper-focused. It's similar to Evander Kane in, in Edmonton. If he's got Calgary worrying about, if Kane, then then guess what McDavid and Drysdale will do? They fly under the radar and they get to do their thing, right? And uh, and as Nas being a second line center, that is that is a huge asset. And like you said, he's got he's got St. Louis off their game, undisciplined. Perron chasing him after he's already bumped into two guys. Uh, it's just uh, it, I I love the agitating role and and Nos plays it to perfection and and just has to walk that fine line of of not crossing the line. And uh, he's done that so far in the playoffs this year.
1: Matt, this is so much fun. Um, People are loving it in the chat. We, of course, love your uh, having you on the program. And, hey, I mean, I know you're getting into the coaching gig, but uh, if you ever want to do some more NHL uh, analysis, we've got a spot for you literally any time. This has been <laughs> great. And who knows? I mean, if your boys keep rolling and uh, can move on, uh, maybe we can do this in a couple of weeks when we get closer to the ultimate prize if the Avalanche are still going.
3: Yeah, I would uh, be more open to coming on, and uh, this year was actually, I never touched on this, was a one-and-done coaching gig for me. Um, I really enjoyed my time at the Weekings, uh, got to see that side, but I am starting a sports agency with a local Winnipegger uh, by the name of Joe Caligiuri. Uh we'll be calling ourselves Cal Sports Management, and uh, we're already representing a, a few local Manitobans, and we hope to really hyper-focus on the Manitoba area and, and spread out into other regions after that, and uh, I I'm really excited about the the next uh, next phase of my life here. This is awesome.
1: And of course we know Joe, I mean a uh, great former player, a goaltender. I mean, how, how did just quickly before we go, how did that come up? And when you guys are actually do launch, we'll get you back on and kind of talk about it all, but just tell us about how this d- developed.
3: Yeah. So my, so Joe, I kept in touch with Joe. He was my junior goalie for about a year and a half. and I think we shipped him off to PG. I don't know if he he pissed off Kelly McCrimmon or what, but, um, and then he ended up in Dauphin, but uh we've always been super competitive or he's a guy I hang out with and we could talk four hours and we haven't even covered half the things we want to talk about. Right. So we kept in touch. He started to get into the sports agent game, uh, Colin Wilson, another, another former Winnipegger. Uh, I sat beside him in the avalanche room and I said, Hey, Joe Caledari is getting in, uh, into the agent business. Uh, he gave him a shot. He was his first NHL contract. And then I actually hired him at the end of my career. Um, hoping to get another deal before I had the career ending injury. And, uh, I sat here all year trying to figure out, you know, what do I want to do? And I mentioned coaching and the the commitments and, you know, you come into other kids and, you know, I really wanted time for my family. And, uh, and I was very pro player, you know, they, they would, you know, coaches break down players, that's their job. But I was I always found myself sticking up for them, trying to develop them and, um, you know, just make them better every day. And, and I just thought, what a, what a great relationship this could be. Me and Joe would always kind of throw it around and nothing serious ever. And, and with him being a lawyer in Winnipeg and uh, and having that side, that business side to him, and then me having the experience and and, and going through it all, um, you know, kind of, I've gone through the Western League. I was a late bloomer. I played three years of AAA in Manitoba. You know, I played in the American League for 120 games uh, and then the NHL for 10 or so years. So uh, I just figured what a great team we, we can make. And uh, and we've already uh, started the networking, started the calling, got a few clients, uh and, and really going to try to focus on Manitoba and have some fun with this.
1: Matt, congratulations on that. That is fantastic news, and uh, I know it'll be an amazing resource and uh, opportunity for many young Manitobans to hopefully lean on you for all the uh, the experience that you have and obviously what Joe's doing as well. Uh, we'll definitely talk more about that on your next visit. All the best with that, and uh, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, always a pleasure having you on the program here on uh, in Winnipeg.
3: Uh, I have a lot of fun with it. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh man, what a conversation with Matt Calvert! Definitely a uh, early ballot WST Hall of Famer. We had such great feedback from his first visit with us when he retired last year. Great to have Matt back on the program, and we'll certainly wish he and Joe Caljuri great success with the upcoming sports agency. And we'll look forward to have Matt on the program as well. We are going to stick with some hockey, but CFL fans do not fret. Bottom of the hour, John Hodge from Three Down Nation will pop by. We'll get the latest on what is happening between the Canadian Football League and the Players Association. Find out whether we're going to be going to IG Field on Friday to watch some preseason Canadian football. Hey, just before we do that, a big thanks to our friends at Culligan Water for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. 65 plus years in the business, hydrating Manitobans with uh, pretty much everything you need. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, drinking water systems and citywide water delivery services, as well as commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Whether it's for the home, the cottage, the business, they've got you covered. Visit them at 1200 Sargent Avenue or find out more online at drinkculligan.com. Donnie and the gang at Manitoba Battery are working a little overtime for all of you. Great news. Manitoba Battery has their special spring and summer hours where they're open until 8 p.m. So you can shop local. You can save money. You can save time and you can get the best price on any battery you need for whatever you're getting up to this summer. Uh, They're at 1026 Logan Avenue. Best bet, though, check them out online at manitobabattery.com. Give them a call at 783-8787. They can get everything ready for you for a quick and easy pickup up until 8 p.m. right now over at Manitoba Battery. Uh, Had a good time with uh, Greg and the guys from Royal Sports last night watching the Battle of Alberta. Busy time over at Royal right now. More and more spring and summer inventory continue to come in, including a massive selection of bikes. And uh, we know how tough it's been to get bikes over the last couple of years through the pandemic. Royal has an incredible selection, which grows by the week, not to mention a newly expanded soccer section, softball, baseball, fitness gear, and more. And it's still the uh reigning heavyweight champ of all things hockey as well. Pop down and see him, 750 Pemina Highway and on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information. And hey, I do want to give a quick shout out before we bring Matt in to our friends over at Breezy Bend. It is first night of men's night tonight, and over 150 golfers are going to be teeing it up at the course. been a little while, and it's been a bit of a long wait, but a uh, shout-out to everyone there. I'm going to pop by the course later on see Corey Johnson. If you're thinking about a home in the future for you and your family at one of Winnipeg's best courses with an amazing social scene and more, breezyben.ca online or... Give Corey Johnson a call. He'll fill you in on uh, what's to come over at Breezy. All right. Uh, Wednesday afternoon. Always love cooking up with our good friend, Murat Atesh of The Athletic. And Murat has been listening to all of you Jet fans because the, uh, <laughs> I imagine the mailbag's been quite full over the last few weeks, Murat. And uh, yeah, no shortage of topics to get to you from Jet fans for your latest piece in The Athletic.
4: Yeah, it was a scorcher. I, uh, I, I've i thought about this before because, I I changed how I do mailbags, right? Like I used to do it where I would go through and I would handpick the the questions that I thought I could do the best research on, or maybe people weren't talking about. And then I realized I spent like three hours, every mailbag, just choosing questions. And that was kind of a waste of everybody's time. So then recently I put it to everybody, ask the question you want, go through, like all the questions that you like. And then I go through and I just sort it by how many people liked everything and I answer them. And it is clear that this conversation about Winnipeg Jets dressing room conflict, is there conflict? What's wrong? Is there anything wrong? Especially, I know you guys talked about James Patrick's comments on the show uh, when those were fresh. Like, those are front of mind. People still, you know, despite all the Barry Trotz watch and despite the coaching uh, transformation, whatever happens in in that coaching search, people want to know, uh everything that they can about the state the state of the union in Jetsland, and and the fury hasn't quite gone away yet
1: no and and you know i mean the state of the union is so in flux right now i mean looking for a new head coach dealing with the shrapnel of the bombs that were dropped by number of players in front of microphones at the end um i mean that was going to be a topic and will continue to be a topic until you know the team's back on the ice i'm sure coming up in the fall the Patrick comments were interesting and noteworthy for a couple of reasons. One, it was sort of Frank. It was not things that potentially I think were new, but it was more the source that they came from. And the fact that they were in a very public domain, albeit on a channel that, you know, maybe it did sort of feel like maybe it just, these guys were just talking around and this wouldn't be kind of coming back. It was something that we had to bring up. And I mean, you touched on it in the piece as well, and I'll get you to speak on it. Um, the fact that it is from someone with that sort of an NHL career, a Winnipeg guy coaching a very successful team, albeit a junior team here in the city. I mean, it gives some level of credence to these comments um, and maybe more impact than if just some guy is saying it to you in a conversation you might be having over a beer somewhere in town.
4: Yeah, I definitely, that's, that's the heart of it for me. Um, You know, we've, we've seen these like whispers and rumors and and people will sometimes write or say some things and they're unsourced. And from day one, I think it was the summer of 2019 after that blue series, you know, I would get questions and, you know, what's the state there. And I would always say this, you know, if I can, if I can write something that's well sourced that people are going to own up to and that's not hearsay, I'm going to write that and I'm going to stand by that. And um, until that point, it just sounds a little bit like rumor mongering. Fast forward to 2022, you hear more and more and more and more. And then James Patrick um, says what he says. And, you know, I'll I'll get to this in a second. I think Winnipeg told on itself far more severely than James Patrick told on Winnipeg um, by leagues and levels uh, in, in Jets players end of season press conferences. But because Patrick is who he is. Can I mean, he coaches Winnipeg's best hockey team, does he not? Or at least, you know, Manitoba's best hockey team, uh, at least in the leagues that I follow, um, has NHL connections, certainly would have connections to Philadelphia. I mean, his nephew played there, right? And, um, you know, that's Cody Eakin and, and uh, Kevin Hayes or what have you. The source of the hearsay seems solid. It, it still is hearsay, it sounds like, but it seems like solid stuff coming from a position like that. Um Of course, Patrick's one person. I'm one person. You're one person. We're all here. We're all doing our best in this sort of thing. But his official title lends some credence to it, I think. And for a lot of fans who have seen rumors, who have wondered, who have wondered why, you know, why the team has not had success. And and you sort of, you know, from a fan perspective, you try to fill in the gaps, like it must be that there's something wrong. Well, that would validate that to you. I'm sure it would. And, And I think that that was one of the really one of the reasons why that segment spread like wildfire around the Internet, because like you say, it had the vibe of buddies talking. And yes, the video camera was on. Yes, the microphone was there. But maybe this wasn't the most, you know, media savvy moment of somebody's career. I'm sure he regrets it to a certain degree because of how much it blew up. Um, It felt like talking. It was a podcast. Um, and, and I think that that sort of blew up. I think that is, I think fans needing something to validate what they've thought, or at least for the group of fans who feel that way, that was a big deal. But then for me, it's like, okay, so he said that. So these two players, Cody Eakin, who in my mind is an end of the roster player, though somebody pointed out to me, he was treated like a second line center or a third line center when he was here, or Kevin Hayes, who was immediately shunted to the fourth line, despite being a much better hockey player than that. Um, I was kind of thinking to myself, well, if anybody's going to be disgruntled about Winnipeg experience, it's going to be those guys. Um, at the same time, fast forward and think about what Kyle Connor said about culture, never too early to build culture. What Paul Stastny said about the selfishness of players. Uh, what Blake Wheeler said about not everybody playing a 200-foot game, commitment to offense over defense, right? Like the fact that winnipeg jets would step in front of a public microphone and even say a fraction of something as severe as the locker room is divided and that fraction to me is we don't play the right way not everybody's pulling on the same rope some players don't play with respect like that is so much more meaningful because if they're saying that that's tip of the iceberg stuff that's the, the end result of so much internal conflict to the point where people are frustrated and fed up, and now it gets out. So, you know, I try to convey in this mailbag all of that, plus my own, like, perspectives. You know, clearly something's going on. The exact specifics, is it how Patrick lays it out? Is it how any individual person has laid it out so far? I don't know, but there's something there's conflict within the Winnipeg Jets dressing room I think we can reach that conclusion at this stage
1: well uh, for sure and I mean as you said at the end in that final uh, in that final line I believe it must have taken an awful lot of internal contract for the Jets to have called themselves out as badly as the season ended. I think it's a great point I mean it was noteworthy because of the way it was said and who it was said but this is not anything that I don't think you might have thought was happening as it was if you were paying attention to the end of the season and what you were hearing from the Winnipeg Jets, which brings us to now. And of course, this, I guess, is sort of a good segue into talking about Barry Trotz, but it's more the head coaching position a- a- as a whole and what the Winnipeg Jets are looking for in a guy that's taking over this club and I don't think it can be understated how important it is to have, I mean, we'll talk about X's and O's and systems and coaches will have different ones. This, this job is, needs to be someone that can come in immediately command the respect of the room, get buy-in from everyone and start working on building a team again, because you can have the most talented players in the world in almost any sport. If you've got a fractured room, if people aren't, you know, all in it for the same end results and goals, it's tough to win. And um, the team didn't win this year. That's part of the reason why they're searching for a new head coach. But to me, that guy that can be a real leader and bring everyone together, I mean, that might be number one on the entire list of the guy that they are looking for. And It's a big reason why I think we've talked so much about the possibility of Barry Trotz coming back to Manitoba.
4: Yeah, it's a perfect fit in so many ways because you believe that he can generate that buy in, that he can encourage that accountability, and that players can set a higher standard for themselves under his watch, or failing that, he can institute a higher standard for everybody than what we've seen, including accountability that applies to every Winnipeg Jet. Um, I think that that's a really crucial fact. And whenever, you know, I, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, time is strange in in May, um, I wrote the, a piece outlining all kinds of options. Scott Arneal was on there. Pascal Vincent was on there. You know, I mentioned Todd Woodcroft at one point um, talked a lot about Randy Carlisle. You and I talked about that as well. And whenever you post a list like that, there's uh, one of the immediate responses from a, a subsection of fans a smart subsection of fans, they say, well, what, are, why all these retreats? Why all, why all these guys we've heard of a million times before? Why not Ricard Gronberg from Sweden? Why not some junior coach on the up and up, all that sort of stuff. Well, those types of coaches can solve hockey problems. I don't doubt it. Those types of coaches have probably new insights. And I don't doubt that those things would bring a tremendous amount of value to an NHL room, at the same time, one of Winnipeg's biggest problems needs to be solved by somebody with established respect, respect, I was going to say, and street cred, respect and street cred in in a way like a Barry Trotz, a voice who comes into that room and commands a certain amount of respect and demands it as well. So I think for me, that's just another reason why the Venn diagram of solves hockey problems uh, can command a room. Has the resume, has the X's and O's, has a reason to love Manitoba as well. I mean, I I struggle to find a better fit for Winnipeg. Um, from his perspective, he's got options, but he's number one with a bullet on my list and everyone's, I'm sure.
1: Uh, Marat. Listen, there was some unfortunate nonsense on social media that I think got some section of the fan base pretty excited over the last few days. Obviously, nothing's added, but you did speak to it. We had Jeff on yesterday. Uh, just as of we speak today on Wednesday, what um what's the extent of your knowledge about the Jets' pursuit of Barry Trotz and where things are right now?
4: Yeah, I, I can sort of speak to a little bit of that. And you know, Jeff had just such a phenomenal Twitter thread on Winnipeg's perspective yesterday. Uh, so hats off on that front. Um, on the Barry Trotz front, I believe that, I mean, you can add Dallas to the list of reported names in terms of cities that, you know, we can expect an interview. Um, that I feel confident in sharing and saying, and I, and I tweeted that as well. Um, Dallas is actually a place where I think could be a good fit for him in terms of what that organization has prioritized. You can believe in its core. It's not falling apart like Philadelphia. It's not ruthless as heck as Vegas. You know, you might be able to see some some of that long-term building. It's not even rebuilding as Detroit is, you know, if if you're looking for a spot, I I think that that's, you know, one item of competition for sure. And Barry Trotz will have lots of offers and lots of options. Um, I think he is going to take his time. I think that that is something I feel confident in sharing as well. Uh, So this idea that he was going to sign, you know, yesterday or whatever, that, no, that's not the case. He's going to go through this interview process. He's going to evaluate what he wants as going to include what's best for his family and himself it's going to include as well as has been talked about thoughts of how he might transition into front office role at some point as well and that's an area and I, you know i can say my latest knowledge on this and this is well sourced information is that winnipeg remains a, a viable a completely viable option for very trots and i i think that's good news for jets fans i also think that winnipeg is you know, a few teams might be able to do this. Winnipeg, in terms of offering some glimmer into the front office as time moves forward, I think the Jets are better positioned than some organizations for that as well. So I still, and I'm kind of, I'm an unabashed fan of the way the guy coaches and the way his teams have played. So I still believe that the good news of Barry Trott signing a Winnipeg remains possible as we sit here today for sure.
1: You know, let's talk about that—that that, you know—that management role, carrot, whatever you want to talk. Because the bottom line is, Jerry Trotz, if he signs in Winnipeg, is going to come in here as the head coach and need to work to turn things around and reestablish this team as a contender. But you know, he's approaching 60 years old. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that I think he thinks of this as his last head coaching gig, moving into some sort of a role. I would agree with you that certainly when you look, I mean, there are other organizations that have more bodies that might be more top heavy. I mean, Kevin Sheveldayup has really been the guy and obviously works very closely with him. Craig Heisinger, Larry Simmons. Have you thought at all about how that transition would look? What sort of a position might be there for Barry Trotz and might it involve kevin shovel off moving up the ladder to another position sort of in between the top of the organization and the general manager and potentially barry moving in or would it be more of a complementary role working with chevy on a number of aspects both player personnel and operating the hockey ops
4: the way that i idealize this involves steps and involves transition essentially based on when he's ready for it because there will be a learning curve. There's no way around it. He's, I mean, a top level coach, one of the best of the best, you know, in the way that there might be 10 elite first line centers, you know, if there are 10 first line coaches, Barry Trotz is one of them. I I believe that wholeheartedly. Managerially, he's going to have some things to learn. And obviously Kevin Sheffield, the office run that ship. Um, Larry Simmons, a big part, all the guys that you named. Um, I think the most natural step one to his transition is just to sit in those meetings be welcome to offer his input to to be given a platform to listen and a platform to speak Um, that doesn't necessarily have to be codified in a position title but i think that given Trotz's goals and ambition if if front office work is is in the cards for him he's going to want that name or or that title at some point as well i don't know how you how you gate these steps but at some point after being in the meetings having uh having his voice heard having his input made I mean, I think at some point you've got to incorporate him into decision-making process and raising sort of the weight that his voice gets as well. And I could easily see um, sort of an end game where he's an assistant general manager and Kevin Dayoff is the general manager. uh, Perhaps a new position is created. Or if everything has gone well, even beyond that, an end game where he's a general manager, Kevin Dayoff is president of hockey operations. The division of labor, I think, is unknown and and worthy of negotiation I think um and a process where there's listening to make sure that he's achieving what he needs to achieve to be to be moved up and and given progressively more title
1: well you know what it's funny I mean when you say it and lay it out that way you know as someone that is invested in the team and wants them to do well I I think even in a short-term fashion if Barry Trotz comes in as your head coach but has a powerful voice in that room Um, you know feels like they have some control uh, you know or or maybe not necessarily control but input into how this roster is changed up I also think that in the short term that could be very positive for the Winnipeg Jets and a new voice could I think maybe be quite helpful considering the challenges that they have the very real challenges they have ahead of them in the short term going into next season
4: well I want to know what Barry Trotz's ideal third and fourth line structure is right. I mean, we've talked about minutes and how he spreads them out a little bit more than Paul Maurice or Dave Lowry did, but you know, in Winnipeg, we're used to the fourth, we're used to the Nate Thompson signing. We're used to the Mark Latestu signing. We're used to the Matt Hendricks signing. There are certain hallmarks I think that each coach brought. And that was without a position, without a named titled position, you just sort of knew that the jets would get that. And Paul Maurice would value it. I think that's how I perceived it anyway. Um, Barry Trotz has an opportunity to completely reshape that team. I mean, input into line structure for one, is this going to be a top six, bottom six team? Well, he'll need certain players for that. Bottom six players might look more uh, of the grinder variety or what have you. Is it going to be a top nine, fourth line team? Does he does he want to find himself a, cl- a Cal Clutterbuck or a Matt Martin type player who he was able to lean on in, in Long Island? I mean... His vision for how to get the most out of the biggest, most important pieces on the Jets, you know, you could read the defense into that, Connor Hellebuck into that, Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, Nikolai Ehlers, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Blake, you go on, you go down the list. Well, part of that is going to be deciding um, top nine, bottom line, how that's going to go, what, and then that's going to necessitate complementary pieces being built into that. And it might not be Evgeny Spechnikov, It might not be Jansen Harkins. It's definitely not going to be Christian and He signed with Malmo in Sweden. There are so many spots where even if they're minor players with that are just tweaks, and it's not a juggernaut trade or a blockbuster trade, I meant to say, there's room for a coach to have input from day one on what this roster looks like.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think many people would love that it's a guy like Barry Trotz with that sort of experience, maybe, you know... um putting his two cents in and maybe having even more of an impact as opposed to showing up on day one and seeing what the, uh, seeing what the roster is. Um, I I guess, and I I would imagine, well, I'll just ask you of the percentage of the questions that you got, uh, what percentage involved either Blake Wheeler or Mark Shifley? It feels like half, like it really does.
4: Uh, It feels like, are we talking about this again? But everybody wants to, and there's some new wrinkles or what have you. I mean, those guys—will they stay? Will they go? Like as simple as that? Or uh, one one fan asked, "What's wrong with Mark Shifley?" Then talked through all of the reasons why there might not necessarily be something wrong, and concluded with, "Am I wrong that there's something wrong with Mark Shifley? Because clearly, you watch him play, and um, you know his game tapered off this season. To be sure, uh, they're the focal point. They really, really are. Whether it's you know the rumor mongering stuff or." Or the on-ice stuff, where they have just have such enormous roles and have not delivered
1: enormous results. I couldn't help but laugh when I saw that exact question was from Mark S. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, and, you know, and listen, the, the Shifley issue, I mean, it's such a huge decision for the team. And, and we've spoken before about this, you know, whether if the Jets were, for instance, able to hire Barry Trotz, does that change Mark Shifley's situation? I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, depending on, you know, who you believe or what you've heard, I mean, there might be a decision made and it might've already happened. I mean, certainly if you watched what happened at the end of the season, it certainly seemed like it was heading in a particular direction. That being said, things do change and all it would take for, you know, a guy coming in saying, listen, before you do anything, I want to, and I'm I have no idea whether that would happen. And I think it, you know, would be a conversation for whatever head coach is coming in. But the Wheeler situation is the most fascinating to me because, listen, I think there's going to be a big, big demand for Mark Scheife if The team does, in fact, um, decide to move him for a significant move. And, you know, we've talked about this endlessly for months here on this program. It would tick off a lot of boxes to have a real change to the leadership group. I think there would be some positives from it. That being said, you're also you know, losing a pointy game player that has been the cornerstone of the offense for the Winnipeg Jets for a long time. But Wheeler, and I remember asking you this a couple weeks ago on the on the show when we were chatting, you had a really interesting answer. I mean, if Mark Scheifele's gone, where does that leave Blake Wheeler? And you had said potentially on an island. And I think that there's definitely some truth to that. And I think it will definitely come down to how Blake would handle it himself but the bottom line is moving a Blake Wheeler contract is infinitely harder in today's salary cap world at his age than than Mark Shifley is not to mention the fact that there's a no move contract part of his contract even if he wanted to leave Uh, and uh, the question that you were obviously asked a number of times and talked about it is the is Blake Wheeler the captain next year if he comes back and we can say with or without Mark Shifley I mean I'm not sure whether it really matters that much. I'm on record saying, I think that Blake Wheeler can be part of the solution here. I think that there is, he's a sort of a, a, of a man individual. And it's been pretty clear about what he wants. He wants to get back to where they were. He wants to win before he's finished. And I think that if they, the pitch has been made that, you know, you do these things, Blake will be a better team will win. I think he can be part of that. But it is fascinating for something as proud of a guy as Blake Wheeler is. And what he's done as the captain over a number of years in Winnipeg, how difficult. And we've seen it before in the National Hockey League with, you know, veteran players having to see for a number of years, not being in that role next year. But to me, that, and you talked about it in the piece, Murad, is maybe one of the most, um, well, the points that are of most interest. Because it's so much of things that we don't see that happen behind the scenes but that role is so important to a team. And of course, he's been that guy for a number of years here in Winnipeg.
4: Well, let me let me start by adding a wrinkle. I mean, no move clause becomes a partial no trade this summer. If there's the path out of Winnipeg, it becomes viable this summer. I don't think that's what's happening, but let's say that he does end up on a shipely-less island or an island without Paul Stastny or the type of veteran presence that he's, predominantly integrated with it's not completely out of the question now of course my opinion is that he'll be back and my answer to your question is is sort of the same that I wrote at the site today I think Blake Wheeler should have the opportunity to be the captain of next year's Winnipeg Jets and that's a political answer and I word it exactly that way because like you say there's so much we don't know I I'm like you I believe Blake Wheeler wants to win above all else. I believe that that could be an extremely valuable thing to next year's Winnipeg Jets. If like he told me in our one-on-one that I I referenced many times, we had such a phenomenal in-depth conversation. Well, he told me that, you know, he he's on the back nine of his career. He knows there's going to be a point in time where he needs to give less so the team can do better because winning is all that matters to him. And I believe that I believe in a calm, rational moment. Blake Wheeler knows those things. But you get your back up against the wall, you lose a few games, you have a bunch of different people with different ideas of how to start winning games, and now that's a stressful situation. And is Blake Wheeler capable of leading from the middle of the room or the back of the room, which would be more befitting of his stature as a player at this stage on the ice? Can he elevate those drivers, those Connors, those eelers, those young players who's, who are really generating results for the Winnipeg Jets because he's such a big strong personality he takes up space can he use that strength to elevate those guys to integrate youth as opposed to ignoring what they're capable of at times or or calling them out as the reason for Winnipeg's struggles i think that going from what we know and we'll admit that what we know is tip of the iceberg stuff um going from what we know to a wheeler who is the captain of a successful jets team next year will probably take personal reflection and actual growth on his part. That's my opinion. I believe that because it seems like when things get up against the wall, he's blaming youth again, at least publicly he does over and over. Um, So the opportunity to me comes with, as soon as that head coach is hired, that should be one of the first conversations they have. Head coach and Blake, what is this going to look like? Because I believe the head coach should recognize that Wheeler is not an elite first-line player. He's not even the best right wing on his own team right now. And getting more from him involves less minutes, less of a role, and he should have the opportunity to at least have that conversation about how he can lead from that perspective. If he can't, move the seat. And and that's a tough, honest, difficult, real-life sort of conversation that I think they need to have.
1: Well, and on that same token, and this is why I do believe he can be part of the solution, if Blake Wheeler comes to camp has that con- has that conversation and is truly committed to having a bit of a different role i think the effect that that can have on a number of guys that have been maybe playing behind him over i think would be appreciative and you understand maybe some personal sacrifices for the betterment of the team that could very well help the team go forward there certainly is also the side of things that people say, listen, we've had this group for a long time, much like we've talked about in many aspects of the organization, and it really is time for a change. Um, and there's plenty of young players that are ready that showed in the second half of last season that they're ready for more of a leadership group and will be the foundational players going forward. So maybe it's a time that maybe they go without one for a while and see who goes into that. Or a player like Josh Morrissey, or I threw out Adam Lowry yesterday, that, you know, will not, like, Adam Lowry's not going to be a top six player, but the way he's beloved by his teammates, what he does in so many aspects, and a selfless nature of his game could also be a stepping stone to, you know, creating that culture that we heard many players talk about this team needing at the end of the season.
4: Well, I like the idea of Adam Lowry. And I I grew up on the idea that you probably, like, it doesn't literally have to be your best player, but perhaps a top six, top four type of player. I grew up on that idea. Um, but one of the reasons why I like Adam Lowry, to, to hear that example, is, you know, every once in a while, we get whispers of things or whatever. I, I have heard from top to bottom of the Winnipeg Jets organization, whether you are a you know whether you're part-time staff working in the rink or chevy or mark chipman or a teammate i hear time and time again adam lowry treats you first class and that's not to say that i've heard other players don't but it's rare that it's rare that somebody gets so universally applauded in that way there's a sense and this reminds me of what you just said about Blake Wheeler. There's a sense of humility about Adam Lowry that I believe resonates with people. And if you, if the example you just gave of Blake Wheeler acknowledging a step back, that would show humility in creating space for other people to step up. For whatever reason, and I'm just jumping onto that word now, this isn't like premeditated. That seems to be, that's, that's what I as an outsider want from Winnipeg Jets leadership is to put egos aside is to is to make ego the enemy to use that Ryan Holiday word book that that so many jets have read i i think there's something powerful about humility as the winnipeg jets leadership moving forward especially based on how tumultuous things have been of late that's
1: That's worth thought. I like that example. Well, and and, and listen, I'll echo what you've heard. I mean, I think Adam Lowry behind the scenes has really been, I mean, he's the definition of a glue guy, both on the ice and off the ice. And, you know, when you have a leadership group that has traditionally been a little more veteran that talks about young guys, he has been the guy that I think has been, you know, the most welcoming to some of those younger players and the type of a player that each and every team needs. And they probably needed a lot more than many of us know, frankly, over the course of the last couple of seasons, but I certainly throw him in. By the way, he's having a hell of a world championships right now. A, I don't know how many more. And I said yesterday, I hope he doesn't get many more opportunities to go because that means his team's not playing in the playoffs. But For a guy that has played a certain role and done whatever this team has asked for him, the way that it has been, really cool to see him playing, where he's playing in the lineup, the production that he's getting right now, of course, alongside Pierre-Luc Dubois overseas.
4: Yeah, I mean, good for him, honestly. Uh, For me, Adam Lowry, when healthy, is still an impactful third-line center if he has help. And he hasn't always had help of late. Uh, I think that not overplaying him based on when he has those really successful runs, is going to be important for the Jets, especially if you give him a letter, for example. I mean, there are times when he's going to be your fourth best center and should be used as, as that, in my opinion. But I also don't think that he's spent or anything like that. I mean, that second half of the season that he had was strong. What he's doing right now is strong. Find him help that works for him. And and once again, you can you can look to to have success in that way. I'm, I'm for it. Have some fun with it.
1: Now, obviously, <clears throat> Nikolai Ehlers, And proud pop-up behind the bench, getting their first win over Canada. There's been some neat things. Uh, Quarterfinals go tomorrow. Canada is taking on Sweden. Hey, before we go, and I know we focused on the Jets, um, what have you thought about the Battle of Alberta? I I am still stunned the way this series has turned around. I thought Edmonton was done after the first game, just the way they were dominated in every aspect. Markstrom? Markstrom? Uh, listen, the Oilers own Jacob Markstrom, as far as I can tell, and even with a bizarre scenario like last night's 130 foot goal by Rasmus Anderson, other players in that Oilers lineup are stepping up. And last night it was the Nuge. I mean, uh, what, what sort of a chance do you give Calgary to get back in this series and at least get it to six or maybe seven games? Well, I thought Calgary
4: would win the series going away. I really did. I acknowledge the best player in the world is playing like the best player in the world. But I thought Calgary from top to bottom, the depth would win out because they have more impact players all the way up and down their lineup. So I still believe that Calgary can win games. Like I still believe that they can push and make it a series and all sorts of things like that, but they need goaltending. They need, um, they need offense from Matthew Kachuk. They need more than what they've been getting. Um, And and to beat 3-1 down i mean the odds are against any team in that situation i also i mean mike smith what a what a horrible goal that was what a horrible goal game 1 was what a horrible game 1 game 1 was for edmonton but there's something right now i don't know if i i i can say for a fact i have not seen this in my lifetime but connor mcdavid has gone off and i know Baby Nuge, maybe teenage Nuge. He almost looks like he's 20 years old at this stage of the game. Scores first, scores last. Johnny on the spot wins that game. He's a good player, absolutely is an impact player and all those sorts of things. But for me, I think these playoffs for Edmonton are the story of the best player on the planet, finding yet another level and and and, and putting that team on his back. Multiple point games most of the time. Leon Dreisaitl, three points every game he plays. It's still... I know there are secondary characters playing big roles, but for me, this is just some of the most incredible players doing the most incredible things.
1: Hey, just quickly before we go, uh, as far as the East, what the hell happened to the Florida Panthers? And uh, might we be talking about two first round picks for the Jets? Thanks to the New York Rangers and our old pals, Andrew Copp and Jacob Truba.
4: I mean, speaking of multiple point nights, eh? I mean, Andrew Kopp is a, is an offensive machine. These playoffs. Um, I, I thought of the East as wide open. I, I called seven games for the Maple Leafs, I think, when that Tampa series began. And then when Tampa made it against Florida, I thought that they had some issues. I thought that Tampa Bay could be beat. Obviously they can't because Andre Vasilevsky decided that they can't. Um, that's the special, that's a special performance. And, and also an all-timer sort of thing. If, if Tampa Bay can make it three, I mean, or even just look at their cup final run or the conference finals run over the last several years, this is the closest thing to a dynasty you get in in cap era. I think NHL hockey is amazing to me. And then in New York, I don't think Andrew Cobb's going to score like this forever. But I would just like to go out of my way to pat myself on the back too hard because it's been about three years I've been writing. This guy could be a possession driver for higher octane talent. And I just want to wear that W whether that series goes New York's way or not.
1: <laughs> hey you know what i haven't saying it we've talked about it no you deserve a barry horowitz moment on winnipeg sports talk if you've ever had one um so you know what? get it out right there don't separate your shoulders while doing it hey you're right and i mean there's a lot of people that have been saying it but um listen he's getting it done right now and Um, I'm sure they are quite fine with the price that they've paid. And if they do make it to the final four, they'll be more than happy to send that first round pick Winnipeg's way. Murat, thanks so much for the conversation as always. Uh, Have a great one. And we'll look forward to uh, more of your writings over at The Athletic. Right on. Thank you, us. Thank you. Appreciate it. There is Atash at WPG Marat on Twitter. If you're not already subscribed to The Athletic, what are you waiting for? Get on over there and give Marat a sub and check out all of his fine work. All right, we're going to move over to the Canadian Football League. John Hodge is teed up from Three Down Nation. Uh, just before we do that, if you're looking for a new vehicle this summer, Start your search over with our friends at Not Auto Corp. Why not get into the car of your dreams at an incredible price with the help of the Not team and find out more about a potential move to an electric vehicle with their Tesla Experience program. They are at Waverly and McGillivray. They're online at Knot.ca. Why not? Uh, and speaking of why not, why not enjoy a delicious little brown jug? And listen, we love the 1919s. Uh, But Little Brown Jug's got some great new products, including a cider they've just launched, which was fermented for four and a half months from cold-pressed apples from an Ontario orchard. Using a mix of wild and cultured yeast. It's dry and refreshing and it's gluten free. Just one of many new products from Little Brown Jug, including a queer beer, Saison, Hefeweizen, and their Folk Fest Lager. Stop by the taproom or patio on William Avenue to try one of their new delicious brews. And of course, you can also get it at your favorite local beer store or online at littlebrownjug.ca. Well, we will find out uh, in the next day or so, whether we're going to have a football game on Friday night, I certainly hope we will because we can, for the first time this season, check out the tailgate zone outside of IG Field, sponsored by great sponsors, the Bombers and Winnipeg Sports Talk, Princess Auto. Of course, Princess Auto is where you'll find the best deals and the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Visit them on one of their two Winnipeg locations, Panit Road or Portage West, or shop online 24 7, 365 over at princessauto.com. And man, just seeing those uh, snow pics from the Princess Auto bl- uh, the, uh, video, uh, the only snow or blizzards we're talking about right now are the ones we can pick up from our great friends, Nick and Nikki, in the Nick and Nikki DQ group. There's four locations in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba the DQ in Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polar Park, DQ St. Anne's. Pop by tonight, grab yourself and the fam a blizzard. And by the way, you might want to sneak in one of those new stack burgers as well, which are phenomenal. And hey, if you do have a cake, cake need, there's nothing better than a DQ ice cream cake. Hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. Let them know what you want. They'll customize it, get it ready for you to pick up quick and easy at any of the four Nick and Nikki DQ locations. All right. I was really hoping that this topic was in our rearview mirror, but unfortunately it's far from that. Still waiting on a deal to get ratified by the CFLPA Let's get the latest from John Hodge of Three Down Nation. John, what's up? I wish we were talking about a preseason game right now, but there's lots going on. How the heck did we get here? How surprised were you that this deal that they had last week where we went into the weekend was not ratified?
0: I was pretty shocked, to be quite honest. And and there were, you know, some hints and, and you know, player, players talking to the media, you know, Antoine Pruneau, made some comments, Ottawa Red Blacks veteran defensive back, you know, voicing his concerns. David Mackey, a fullback in in BC, did the same. Chris Ackie, veteran linebacker in Montreal, did as well. And, And I remember reading those articles, listening to those comments and going, okay, I appreciate that the Canadians have some concern about this change coming to the ratio. However, I cannot see this this deal not being ratified by the players because it was such an improvement over what we've seen over the last few collective bargaining agreements from a player's perspective. That said, that's obviously not what happened we are not back to square one the two sides are still talking the league and the players union i think there is still a decent chance that we get a deal done but i never expected it to get this far consider me absolutely one of the people who was surprised that this deal did not go through
1: yeah no doubt about it and i know you and uh and jd have been writing about it uh, you know consistently over a three down nation what what has been reported and certainly we've seen some interesting takes from different cfl players on social media that this is sort of the canadian players flexing and how big of a divide are you getting out of this uh, the cfl pa right now i mean is this a matter of driving a stake between the canadians and the americans
0: i i think so i think that's certainly fair to say um to me, the biggest issue with the the American players, my sense was the lack of a ratification bonus. I was told yesterday by a player that this deal will get done if a ratification bonus was added to it. It was yesterday to the tune of a million bucks that equates to about $2,000 a player. Um, personally, I don't think this deal needed a ratification bonus. Granted, I'm not one of the players who's missed game checks in 2020 due to the canceled season and missed out on money during a COVID-shortened 2021 season, during which the CFL chose to spend to the floor rather than the cap of their salary structure. However, with that being said, I mean, this deal, I think, was a true partnership. We've heard the CFL use some very flowery language about partnering with the CFL and having a transformational agreement. This deal sets the players up for long term success. They get partially guaranteed contracts for veterans increased health and safety standards. They got revenue sharing for the first time uh, really ever in like a meaningful, structured, transparent way with the right to, uh, for, to a third-party auditor. And, and suddenly that's gone by the wayside because the Americans evidently want a ratification bonus. And the Canadian side of it, the ratio, obviously that's a touchy subject for them. I've been led to believe there are a number of Canadian players who will and do not ever plan on voting For a CBA, that changes the ratio in any way, shape, or form. They want every spot that is currently Canadian to remain Canadian, and that includes roster spots, and that includes the starting spots. And that is a bit of an oversimplification. There's a ton of veterans with a ton of different thoughts, feelings, opinions. But in general, as a generalization, I think it's fair to say that the Americans want a ratification bonus, and the Canadians want the ratio to remain completely unchanged. I think that's why this deal fell through
1: um john hodge a three down nation with us here on winnipeg sports talk daily uh, you were the first one to report yesterday morning i believe that the cfl had tendered a new offer to the players association um tell us about the offer how different is it and are they in a better chance do they have a better chance right now of getting this thing done based on what's in front of them right now
0: so the previous agreement in terms of the ratio the ratio by the way But the uninitiated is basically the CFL's word for how Canadian players are required to be used and deployed on the roster and on the field. The change that was made, the tentative agreement had seven true Canadian starters plus one veteran American who counted as a nationalized starter. So you've got essentially seven real Canadians, one fake Canadian, and then you had the option of three other veteran Americans to essentially rotate in and substitute with three other Canadian starters to the tune of 40 up to 49% of snaps in a game. Now I've talked to some people who had some serious concerns about how that would be tracked, right? It's a complicated thing to say, Oh, well, this guy has been 47%. This guy's 38%. That's complicated. But I thought it was ultimately a good solution. You keep the same amount of Canadian starters, the same amount of Canadian players. You just have some veteran Americans who could potentially rotate and be a backup, or or fill in in the case a player got injured later on in the game. Obviously, the PA did not want that. The issue with this new agreement is that it's been reported widely. It is not seven plus one. And what I mean by that is not seven true Canadian starters plus the one nationalized American. It is six plus one. The PA, again, I've been sold, lots of Canadian players who are voting on this agreement will not vote for any type of change to the ratio. Currently, let's remember it's seven. And if the league decides to stick with this six plus one, then we have reached an impasse. Personally, I think the league should be willing to bend here because having more Canadians and more Canadian starters in the long run, I think my personal opinion benefits the CFL, but I don't think the league necessarily sees it that way. And that's why this ratio issue is now, I think, becoming really the focal point of this new agreement, considering that ratification bonus has been added to it just simply by shaving a little bit of money off certain areas of the deal and front loading it. So players get money in their pockets now, as opposed to later.
1: Well, John, I mean, let's talk about that because I mean, why is the Canadian football league pushing for that? Um, We understand why the Canadian players would be pushing back from that. And where does this leave all the American rank and file of the league? Because the bottom line is this is not changing the salary cap. I mean, you know, this is just a matter of just the way the money is split up right now.
0: Yeah. I, I Frank, I I think at the end of the day, my suspicion is the league office simply doesn't think that Canadian players by and large are good enough. And frankly, I disagree with that. I shake my head at it because this is a league called the Canadian football league. And for some reason, the league office thinks the solution to growing the game is American players and globals. From Europe and Mexico and and all these other places. And and look, I'm not saying that the global initiative has literally no benefit. I think it's it's interesting. Some of the stories that have come out of it. We've got some, you know, some good stories out of it. We've had a couple of impact players make a difference on the field. But to me, the the C in CFL is is the answer. And if you have lost the the C in CFL, you've you've lost your way a little bit. This is a league that used to have. 10 Canadian starters, not that long ago, it's gone down to seven. And uh, I don't think the players are willing to budge on it going down any further because there is a very real fear that if they go down to six plus one now, that when this deal is up in five to seven years, should it get ratified that we're going to be talking about maybe four plus three. And then maybe after that, it goes down to, to zero. And to me, that's unfortunate. I think the ratio and the reason why I'm an advocate for the ratio is a lot of people will say, oh, just let the best players play. I just want to see the best players play. Well, a lot of the best Canadian players are the recent memory of the CFL, including Andrew Harris, who is a Canadian junior football league player, including Brad Sinopoli, was a university quarterback and many others never in a million years would have made it out of their first training camp if they had to compete directly against American players who who attended major college programs, right? Andrew Harris has been the best running back in the CFL for the last five years. But 12 years ago, when he was a nobody with the BC Lions, he was never going to make it out of camp competing against, you know, guys who went to Miami, to Clemson, to Alabama, to Nebraska. And so to me, the ratio is incredibly important. But I'm not sure that the league office, by and large, feels the same way.
1: Which is bizarre because, I mean, Randy Ambrosi is a Canadian, former Canadian player. And certainly, I mean, if you look around the league, maybe more so here in Winnipeg with a guy like Wade Miller, who, you know, again, a longtime veteran player that probably got an opportunity because of the fact that, you know, he was Canadian and had the Canadian passport. Like, I do sort of wonder who's behind it because at the end, to me, from a CFL perspective, the front office this is a dollars and cents thing they need to figure out how to make the business operation work john and um it, it's just it's puzzling to me that this would be a big push like if it's not between the pa it's not within the pa and the american players and the cfl like the u.s players are fine like i don't understand why that would be such an issue if you've got a seven-year deal on what the costs are going to be that it's going to be the same for everybody
0: yeah and I think there's a bit of a misconception uh, it's It's a myth by and large that Canadian backups make more than American starters. That is true when American players are still on their rookie deals, right? If you're a rookie making the league minimum and you happen to become a starter, which which happens, it's rare, but it happens in this league. Yes, there will be Canadian backups making more than you, but that's also pretty reasonable. They're veteran players. It's it's no different in the NHL where you have third and fourth line players who are veterans making more than rookies who might end up on the first line because they are in the first year of their NHL deal. It, it, it's not a huge issue in my view. I've seen a lot of the numbers. I know the way that the salary structure works in the CFL, but there is a misconception from American players and from, and it's been perpetuated publicly that Canadian rookies and Canadian players make all this money and American veterans don't. And the the strange part is you're, you're exactly right. It's the same pool of money. It's not like the CFL has an American cap and a Canadian cap Teams are are free to spend their money however they like. If they want to spend a ton of money on Americans and skimp out on Canadians or vice versa, they're able to do that. And it's not like the CFL would suddenly save money or teams would suddenly save money by lowering the ratio or, or having fewer Canadian players. It's the same pool of money. It's the same salary cap number that every team is operating with. And that cap would remain the same, whether it's getting utilized to pay American players Or Canadian players. So I'm with you Hus. from a numbers game. It doesn't make sense to me. And my colleague, JC Abbott made a great point the other day. He said, you know, frankly, if the CFL is looking to get more exciting and is looking to get better and bigger plays, don't you think, and I don't think this is true, but If we are to believe that Canadian players are just worse than American players and can't compete, wouldn't that make the game more compelling to have star American receivers and quarterbacks chewing up Canadian defensive backs or Canadian offensive linemen getting roasted by American defensive linemen? Wouldn't that lead to more big plays, big hits and the things that fans love? To me, this just doesn't check out from any perspective and I, and frankly I'm disappointed that it's come to this because I don't see the ratio as any type of obstacle for the CFL to overcome I think that right now it's getting in the way of a lot of the good goodwill and good nature that that both sides we're able to cultivate through the original tentative agreement.
1: No, I completely agree with you on that. John Hodge of three down Nations with us here on Winnipeg sports talk. So where are we at right now? What's happening behind the scenes? What are you hearing? And uh, tell us about this deadline and what happens if we don't get a handshake deal or a signed agreement by the time that this deadline goes past.
0: Well, Hus, I mean, there, there's a few options, right? You you can continue on the current track and it, cause, cause let's remember players practice today, the Stampeders canceled their practice this afternoon, but they intend to practice tomorrow morning. I'm told that their cancellation today was completely unrelated to the ongoing labor dispute. So, you know, the first four days of camp were were, were, were strike everywhere but Alberta. The Elks and Stampeders planned to go on strike. It didn't come to that, right? The tentative agreement got done four days after the CFL's first strike since 1974. 48 years. Crazy. So the, the players could say, hey, let, we're, we're willing to keep going and, and just operate under the previous cap and have the preseason. I'm sure that the league would love that because the league does not want to lose the revenue that comes from the four preseason games that are planned for this upcoming weekend. Two two on Friday, two on Saturday, one of which is in Winnipeg. Winnipeg hosts Edmondson on Friday night at IG Field. The other option is the CFL does what Randy Ambrosie threatened to do. In an interview with Post Media, where he said, "We're going to shut if if the CFL Players Association does not accept this deal by the deadline on Thursday night at midnight Eastern Time, we are going to shut down training camps, stop feeding players, stop housing players." Which they promised to do in the event of a work stoppage. They did it for the first one. Evidently, they're not willing to do it for a subsequent work stoppage after the tentative agreement was voted down, and and, and it could get really messy if, if CFL players actually get sent home. We could be opening Pandora's box here because if I'm – I'll I'll give you an example. If the CFL sends its American players home, what's to stop the XFL, which plans on getting up and running not too long from now from saying, hey, are you really going to go back to Canada to do another training camp, play what is probably going to be a shortened regular season and and have to fight tooth and nail for, for your money? Or are you going to just, you know, because because you're going to, even if you play, let's remember in the CFL this season, you're missing the NFL season, or are you going to wait, play XFL football next year and still be able to get to the NFL by 2023? Because if I'm the XFL and there's a CFL work stoppage, I have absolutely no reason to honor CFL contracts whatsoever. I'm stealing as much talent as I possibly can. So if this does not get done, and if both sides don't agree to operate under the old CBA, we could have a work stoppage, and I really think that could have very damaging long-term effects on this league.
1: Uh, listen, I think that's the nuclear option. Hey, um, just to clarify, is it is that midnight tonight, or is that midnight at the end of Thursday, which is tomorrow?
0: It is tomorrow. Uh, if I misspoke, I apologize. But it is, you know, uh, uh, you know, we're we're talking, you know, we're we're forty hours away approximately, like eleven
1: fifty nine p.m. tomorrow. That is is correct. The the players
0: have the rest of today and all of tomorrow to make a decision as to what to do with this latest proposal. The CFL could always, of course, change their proposal, but the reporting has uniformly indicated that the league is not willing to do that at this point. So, you know, I'm still optimistic a deal will get done one way or the other because I don't think it serves either side to have a stoppage. And I think that they are close on the vast majority of issues but it's becoming harder and harder to remain optimistic because, frankly, I thought this deal was going to be done days ago, and it's gotten uglier than I ever expected it would.
1: Well, and, of course, the fact of the matter is we're hearing reports that they might not vote on it. If they don't vote on it and you get to that point, then we're getting into some scenarios that, frankly, are very scary, not just for CFL fans, but I'd say for the players, for pretty much everybody with a stake in the three-down game.
0: Well, and thank you for mentioning the fans. Let's let's remember the context here. The CFL didn't simply cancel the 2020 mm. season. They let that decision languish and, and, and had very little communication whatsoever with their players, with team officials, with agents, with anybody, including the fans. And they finally canceled the season three months after training camps were supposed to open. They canceled it in, in August of 2020, if my memory serves correct. The next year, they wait until training camps are supposed to open in May, and then they announce, okay, we're going to have training camps in July, and we're going to try to have a shortened season from August to December. Now, fortunately, that went ahead, but there was a ton of uncertainty for fans in 2020, in 2021. They did not get a full season either year. One year was canceled outright, so I do not blame any fans who are feeling upset, disillusioned, angry. They have 100% the right to feel that way they, they should feel absolutely justified if they are feeling that way about this labor dispute. This mm-hmm. is the last thing the CFL needed, and it's, it's one of many reasons why it's disappointing that this tentative agreement that was struck between the league and the Players Association did not go forward. It was ugly leading up to that. We reached a point where we said, okay, this is done. The strike is over. We're good to go, and now that Band-Aid has been torn right off. The wound is fresh for fans again, and frankly, I feel awful for them. They're the real victims in all of this, and and hopefully this gets settled soon so that fans can get back in the stands and watch some CFL football.
1: Amen to that. These guys have 40 hours to figure it out, and uh, we'll find out what becomes of the preseason, of course, the upcoming CFL season. And, John, fingers crossed that we'll be reading about a deal on Three Down Nation in the next couple days from you and Justin – and then uh, having you back next week or the week after to talk about the actual league and the Can- and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and their quest to go three-peat as CFL champs.
0: Appreciate that, Hus. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, great stuff. Thanks so much. Three Down Nation is the site. John D. Hodge on Twitter. John Hodge and Justin Dunk doing an amazing job covering the Canadian Football League. And as they say, fingers crossed, our next conversation will be about the DBs competing for spots and uh, who's going to take out uh, who's going to take the spot of Jalen Saunders which is another kind of big story that came out of Winnipeg Blue Bombers camp today we'll get to that with Michael Remus in just a minute uh hey more great playoff action tonight is on the docket well we've got Winnipeg Ice Edmonton Oil Kings playoffs uh but if you want to Slide on down to your local BP. Of course, the Blues and abs will be on. You can scarf down those gourmet pizzas, Boston Wings, Ice Cold Schooners, and more. And of course, if you're staying home, you can always order the great taste of Boston Pizza online at bostonpizza.com to make sure to check out their game day deals. Hey, we're six days away from a horse and around again out at the track. Opening day for Assiniboia Downs Live Racing is next Tuesday. The world-famous Prime Rib Buffet is back And they'll be back starting on the Tuesday but with a regular schedule of live racing on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday out at Assiniboia Downs. Find out more about the upcoming season at asdowns.com. And, of course, you can open an account and bet on the races both at our track and around the world anytime at hpibet.com. Uh, our friends at Aikens Lake, as I mentioned right off the top of the program, are up, open, and rolling. Saw a couple just monster fish pulled out of the lake yesterday on the Aikens Lake Instagram account. If you're thinking about a uh, amazing five-star fishing trip here in the city, in, in the province of Manitoba, where you can get on the lake in less than two hours from Winnipeg, Aikens Lake is the spot for you. Find out more online at akenslake.com, and we we'll be heading out there later on this summer. I cannot wait to hopefully be flexing with some huge fish we pull out of the lake later on this year akinslake.com and check him out on twitter as well pittoran at akins lake all right let's get michael remus back in here because we do have to get to our cool bet lines but um i knew we were going to be talking business with john Hawdream. uh but i also did want to talk about that interesting bomber news that jalen saunders who was signed just a few weeks back the former TyCat standout receiver has been released today before we even got to the preseason. And all that does is open up an even bigger hole in the receiving core with the absences of Kenny Lawler, Darvin Adams, despite the addition of Greg Ellingson in the offseason.
2: Yeah, great conversation with John. And someone asked in chat if I was surprised. I mean, yeah, you're surprised because they signed him in the offseason. You thought he was going to play a role. However... You're not surprised because he hasn't played for a couple of years, and I, they figured it—you know—didn't take them long to realize. You know what? He doesn't have what it takes for the for the team, and that's kind of too bad because he was a pretty solid player a couple of years ago. He had the chemistry with Zach Caleros, but when you're away from the game and you suffer the injuries that Saunders had, uh, I guess they saw right away that um, he didn't have it any anymore, which is which is too bad. And I do wonder what they do. Um, at receiver, are they going to look to bring in somebody else? It's funny, last year we got all hyped about Cam Meredith in the preseason, former NFL receiver. He came on this show and, you know, he battled injuries and was eventually cut and, and didn't play. So, um, you know, I, is Ricky Collins Jr. still out there? He had a pretty solid last couple of years. I put him in a bunch of my fantasy lineups, or do they go with what they have in Ellingson and uh, Dembski? And Walt Tarski, you know, Calvin McKnight was a guy we got all hyped about him uh, for that game that he started. Um, Is he guy who takes a step this year? I'm not sure what happens uh, with the Bombers, but I you don't know a couple. You know, how, does the, how do they look with Harris out and Lawler out and Adams? There are some big changes on the Bombers offense heading into the season.
1: A uh, great comment from issue boy,
2: Bruce, if they continue to reduce and eventually eliminate the ratio, they have to change the league name.
1: Can't call it the CFL without Canadians. I think that is a what about the sentiment rules? held by the majority of the C- of CFL fans um, that it is important. And John's exactly right. I mean, just back to the point. I mean, Andrew Harris does not become Andrew Harris without the opportunity afforded him by the ratio. Now he tr- proved that he was one of the best and was an absolute difference maker for Winnipeg. And as John mentioned, has been the best running back in the Canadian football league for the last five years. But it is a very salient point that 12 years ago, coming out of Vancouver Island in the BCJ, uh, JFL, I'm not sure that Andrew Harris gets that opportunity to prove himself, to stick with the team, to learn, to grow. And it is important for having opportunities for Canadian players because they're not getting them here. They're not getting them anywhere. And uh, I certainly do support that. Although to me, the difference between the six and seven, I mean, I just want this thing to get done and be talking about a game at IG Field on Friday night and the bombers looking to run it back. And as far as what you're saying about the receivers, ring, yeah, I forgot
2: Rasheed Rashid Bailey for the records. I think Sheed, you the bar of course. Point. Yeah, I,
1: showtime Sheed yeah. 88. And I think he's ready for a bigger role this yes. year. But as we always see, there will be some guys that I couldn't even name right now that are in camp or that will come to camp over the next assuming that we're playing. Um, that emerge as real legitimate options. Um, I mean, a guy like Darvin Adams was not the star Darvin Adams when he first got here. Um, And They've done a great job at signing so many DBs. I'd imagine there's some talented young receivers as well that maybe will get an opportunity, although they might not be household names to Winnipeg Blue Bomber fans right now. All I can tell you is I hope that those are the conversations we're having next week on this program and not... With Hammer and with John Hodge about what's going on between the CFL and the CFLPA. Remo, right, well, let's get to uh, the Coolbet lines for tonight. And uh, what French Open is on, by the way, for you tennis folks. We will have to hook up with uh, our friend John Horn over the next couple of days to track the Canadians. Um, of course, you can bet on all the French Open matches over at Coolbet. But for tonight, we focus in on the National Hockey League. And the Saint Louis Blues are up against it, completely discombobulated at home ice, dominated by Nazem Kadri, and now the Avalanche can ice the Blues and move on to take on the winner of the Battle of Alberta in the Conference Finals with a win tonight. Colorado minus two thirty-eight favorites, Blues plus two ten. Remo, do the Blues live to see another
2: day after tonight? No, Colorado's too good. I don't know what I picked in this one. I should look at my my bracket that's somewhat still alive, but no, I'm going Colorado in the heads um, of St. Louis. They're just too good. They're too talented. I am here. You know, the Bennington injury who's so great in the regular season, but hasn't been that in the playoffs. I am here for, I'm here for Colorado going to the conference final.
1: Uh Boston Celtics and Miami Heat tonight. The Celtics two and a half point favorites on the road taken on the Heat. -147 for the Celtics on the money line, +125 for the Heat. I do like the Celtics. I think they're a much deeper and more complete team. They've lost a couple of games where they've dominated 75% of it, had a terrible quarter and ended up losing. I don't think that happens tonight. I think we get back to uh I I I think the Celtics get this win tonight. Um, to really take control of this series. And last night, it was the Dallas Mavericks who staved off elimination with a win over the Golden State Warriors. Mavs, tomorrow night, seven and a half point underdogs in Golden State. And right now for the NBA, the Golden State Warriors, a minus 147 favorite to win the championship. Celtics plus 215, Heat six to one, and the Mavs 50 to one, if you think they can win three in a row house the Warriors, and come back from a 3 nothing deficit. Again, uh, whether it is the Charles Schwab Challenge, which tees off tomorrow, French Open, baseball, basketball, hockey, whatever you like, you can lay a sprinkle on it over at CoolBet. Use the promo code WST for a 100% bonus up to $200 on your first deposit. Oh, speaking of that, Let's check these ice. I know people will be under. I'm so fired up that these ice lines are also on Coolbet. Right now, Edmonton Oil Kings, minus 169 favorites, Winnipeg Ice plus 127. And I know Patrolman Pete and a number of other folks in the chat are fired up for this oh. game tonight. Um, two overtime losses and a 5 1 win. I like the ice chances to get this thing back to even terms tonight. I will be riding with the plus one twenty seven underdogs from the peg tonight at Rexall Arena or Rogers Arena against the Edmonton
2: Oil Kings. Rod, right, we keep forgetting the name of. The, we've done that a couple of times. We yeah, keep I always track want to call these. it Rexall Center, Penn, Skyreach Center, Growth Saddle Saddledome. Was that what it was? Oh no, <laughs> nah, that... it
1: was Growth Saddle Saddledome for a while. Sorry,
2: yep. it was. Um... What was the other one? There's one more. Ah, geez, we could go through a lot. Is North it now La- the Nor-
1: Scotiabank, Saddleman? So oh, yeah, Northland's Coliseum originally. Yeah, yeah.
2: Northland, that's what I was thinking. Sorry. Yeah, I think it is the Scotiabank in Calgary. Um, Anyways, yeah, Ice as an underdog, that's the pick. It's funny, you know, I look at these NBA teams left in the Final Four. I mean, where's all the big powerhouse teams that we were looking for at the, be- you know, the beginning of the playoff? The 76ers, Nets, I thought they were shoe-ins. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks. didn't even make it (laughs) lakers yes uh clippers also
1: think of the super teams the clippers the lakers and the heat or and then Nets. excuse me i mean those were the teams that everyone just assumed was going to be you know competing with each other for championships all out um and listen i thought milwaukee was going to be there um they got beat by boston boston's Mm -hmm. a really great team and boston's gotten better since losing kyrie irving um, so, yeah, you're exactly right. It is sort of fascinating. Golden State, maybe a little different, still has the makings of that dynastic team that was there before. And of course, Luka Doncic sort of put the Mavs on his back to get to this point for the first time in his career. So I'm here for it. I miss Giannis. He's my favorite guy to watch when it comes to hoops. I always would love to have him uh, still playing right now. But uh Celtics Heat and Mavs warriors have been great and i think regardless of who comes out of the east most likely golden state out of the west we should have a pretty good final with some real star power especially for that team out of the west
2: yes uh i i agree with you so i mean i'm looking forward to seeing if the golden state can get it done we thought you know they were finished after the raptors took them down um clay thompson you know was out for a while they seem to be back and who Andrew Wiggins, Canadian, playing a major role for them as well. So I could be here for Golden State. You can talk about them. You know, I get excited when you talk get get to talk about the greatest teams of you know a generation. And um, Golden State definitely is that. Would be pretty cool if they got back to another final and even won.
1: No doubt. All right. So listen, back to hockey before we finish it up. Uh, World Championship quarterfinals tomorrow. Canada, tough draw going up against the Swedes. Swedes were 6-0-1 in the round robin. Canada was 5-2. and That game will drop the puck tomorrow morning, 8-20 Winnipeg time from Tampere, Finland. Huge test for Canada, and it's one and done now that we're in the final eight for the uh, for the World Championships. And Switzerland, by the way, how about the Swiss ring? 7-0 and in the round robin. Who saw that coming?
2: Are they always that team that's pretty, like, decent? You know, they don't have them anymore. But used to be, like, a Mark Strait, and uh, who else else did the Swiss have? Nico Heischer. Okay, that's who they got. Yeah, I've I've heard of him. I've heard of him. Kevin Fiala. Oh, he's pretty good, yeah. Didn't do anything in the playoffs, I guess, was saving it for the Worlds, right? There's another Swiss. Roman Yossi. Oh, Riosi. Oh, man. So the, man.
1: Like they have some players. They definitely they, have some players, but I don't think anyone expected them to be number one. Uh, Germany and Czechia, Canada, Sweden, the early games tomorrow at 8.20, and then 12.20, Switzerland, USA, Finland, Slovakia in the quarterfinals. Semis are on Saturday morning, and then the final is on Sunday, as well yeah. as the bronze medal game. Again, ice and oil kings tonight in Edmonton. And uh, we'll also be keeping tabs on our friends from Dauphin, the MJHL champion, the MJHL champion <laughs> Dauphin Kings have had a great start. They did lose in a shootout last night to Flynn Fawn, but two one in a great spot right now in the tourney out in Esteban.
2: I thought you were fully saying we're going to keep an eye on our friends from Dauphin,
1: Barry Trotz's family, because we need to That's, know what's
2: going on. Too. There were no <laughs> updates today on Barry Trotz, but, uh, You know, we're always keeping our ears open for whatever rumors are going to be out there. So if you missed it... Jeff Hamilton on yesterday's show.
1: Legit, legitimate rumors we'll be discussing. Uh, Yeah. And we did have a great one. And I know that's up. If you miss yesterday's show, you can hit the YouTube channel. If you want to just check out the, uh, the Jeff Hamilton piece, we spent quite a bit of time talking about Ed and as Marat mentioned earlier, he had a great uh, tweet thread on exactly that great show. Hey, if you join us late, make sure to go back to the start of the program. Our conversation with Matt Calvert was an all timer. One of my favorite, favorite interviews we've done in a long time on this program Matt, a real favorite of ours, and I know so many people in the chat got some great comments on that. Always a pleasure having Murata Tesh on as well, and of course John Hodge and the great work that he's doing with Justin Dunk over at Three Down Nation. Tomorrow on the program, we'll have a little bit more on what's happening with the Canadian Football League and the Bombers with our good pal Darren Bombing. Brandon Rewicki will join the program. We'll have more on the Stanley Cup playoffs as well as the Battle of Alberta shifts back to Calgary for game number five. So don't miss it. Another packed edition of WST coming up tomorrow. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you hit that red subscribe button and join us daily, 1 o'clock central, live on YouTube, and in your podcast feed a little later on in the afternoon. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Have a great night. Enjoy the games. Go ice. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down.